top of the table, that's exciting. Bottom of the table, that's exciting. Like that's the sort of football that you want to be. And these are the pressure games that in 15, 20 years time, I will look back on and I will remember these are the important matches for me, not middle table teams. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Half past seven, Friday morning. Very good morning to you. Welcome along to OTB AM. Adrian and Owen with you all the way until 10 this morning. Morning to you, Owen. Morning, Adrian. Welcome back. And welcome back to yourself. Thanks very much. How are you keeping? Yeah, good. Good to be here. Get out of the valleys, all right? Yeah, I did indeed. Found my way uh, to, to, to to freedom once again. Yeah. The, oh, the yeah. very tough 40-minute train journey there on a beautiful, <laughs> luxurious train. And, and a system that is the envy of uh, everybody in Ireland. It was, it was very tough to get out of there. Fair play. Great stuff. Lots of good reaction from your chats over there. Um and plenty more to come, I'm sure, over the next few weeks as well. Uh, you were watching Arsenal last night. They're suddenly top four is back on. Oh, I'm telling you, uh, like uh, the the ability that uh, these guys have to, you know, uh, voluntarily get a man sent off in increasingly ridiculous mm. circumstances and still get the job done. Uh, like I mean, there hasn't been too many instances where they got the job done before last night. Is incredible. And last night's red card was one of the more obscene of the season, which is which is saying something. I'd still have Thomas Party flying all the way home from uh, Afcon to for the sole purpose of getting sent off as number one. But at number two was uh, Gabriel Martinelli last night getting double yellow carded in the exact same play pushing a player and then uh, tackling a player at the end of the play uh, in a both both yellow card offences and the correct call from the referee I just hadn't seen it too often in the past and it was a very typical Arsenal moment the issue was that Arsenal were 1-0 up so what they had to do was do a a Liverpool in the first leg situation which was put their backs to the wall and hope that they could grind their way out of that situation and that's exactly what they did Mm. big six pointers coming up over the next little while Brentford, Watford, and uh, Wolves again, which actually is uh, not not even being sarcastic. Another six pointer. So <laughs> Arsenal may actually finish in the top four without being very good, and uh, that's not a bad situation for them to be in. The red cards on the face of you think that's great, but fighting spirit. This is brilliant. It's exactly what's required. And you know, Arteta can't be he can't be behind the scenes going, lads, stop getting red cards. He has to be saying, listen, fire in the belly. But then you kind of get the detail of what's going on, and it's like it's not exactly like flying into challenges and stuff. It, well, like, that's actually a, a good point the, especially the first of the two Martinelli yellow cards it was a, a little push at least you know, at least do a bit of damage or at least be, be cynical or like the second part of it I can see if he's if he thinks that there, there's an opportunity going to arise for Wolves make the yellow, take the yellow card mm. there was no need for the first one so yeah I'd agree with that the problem with Arsenal now is that if they keep getting red cards they just won't have any good players left to play on the pitch they're really at the, yeah. the end of the thread here so uh, yeah, I mean they're they were due to be playing Chelsea this weekend. Obviously, that's not on at the moment, and then it's um, Brentford on on Saturday week for them. So uh, a, a little bit of a, a pause before that that happens. I um, I'm in agony this morning. On I'm not going to lie to you. Um, <laughs> I've started back playing a little bit of sport over the last few weeks. Um, involved one of my kids is involved in the local GA club, so um, it's a super club as it's nationally described. But I have to say, the longer you're there, the more you pick away at that and actually discover the amazing community that's involved. But um, the latest iteration is that they brought us down for sort of an introductory to hurling course. It was um, run on a Tuesday night over, I think, about four weeks. And yeah, it was great. It was like, I kind of went down expecting it to be a little bit of a sort of a coaching clinic and kind of a walk around to see what was going on. But it was like full on. They were kind of running you through all the drills that the kids would do. And it was um, it was brilliant. But anyway, it led from that into... A, here on a Tuesday night, there's going to be a bit of a poker on. We're going half pace hurling, it's called, and um, you know we're going to see if there's any interest and see if we can get a few games going. Sixty 
lads signed up for it. Wow. Sorry, more than 60, but 60 lads are turning up for it on a pretty much a weekly basis every We're talking about old lads here, really, aren't we? It's for, lads in their 40s and 50s, so for you, on absolutely, that constitutes old. I, I accept that entirely. Um, there's nothing half-paced about it, as it turns out. Like, I played hurling for about two weeks when I was about 12, and uh, I'd be well able to go out and, like anybody else, get a, a ball and schlitter and poke around the local park and think, geez, I'd be, I'd be all right at this. Yeah. But it's a different thing when there's, like, fellas bearing down you and you're trying to get a crack away. There's hook and scalp and everything going on down there it's um but it's brilliant there's a real like um community men's shed feel almost about it in that like you know the when i look at my own uh situation right in terms of uh, uh everything else going on in my life so we had a third child a few weeks back Congratulations. And about a month into it it and it and of itself reminds me of um, Ireland, New Zealand in Hamilton about 10 years ago and myself and my <laughs> wife are like Mike Ross and Paddy Wallace <laughs> flailing at challenges coming left, right and centre from Israel Dag and Sonny, every time we get up off the floor on Sonny Boy Williams is running another try and all you can do is sit there and go like, I mean these these, these people are unbelievable <laughs> and we're just here as prep for them You're 62 to, nil down. to be the best version of themselves to you know go on and beat Australia in the World Cup final or like master Irish at junior infants or whatever the case might be but it does feel as if we're getting um, pulled asunder left, right and centre at home so that's the context of that and then so I me talking to my wife about what's go- about how hard that is she's the last person in the world I can speak to about that <laughs> having had like a, a child four weeks ago listening to me uh, she's literally the last person that I can speak to about any of that so it does feel like as if we got on to the, the hurling and it's like how are you getting on there's a real sort of deep connection there and it feels like you know we, we're kindred spirits you coming home with your aches and pains trying oh. to garner sympathy probably oh, doesn't go down she listens to me to be fair to her she does listen to me <laughs> I'm not sure any of it goes in but I'm still yeah so it's like that was Tuesday night today's Friday morning I'm in agony I'm in absolute agony like there was I've I've bruises up and down my legs I cracked a hurl we were out on uh, a sudden Tuesday night I cracked you can see a picture of it there on the screen and it does look doesn't it look like oh he was scalping there was a bit of a skin and hair flying there I'd say the clash of the ash that's what, a good tribute to Park Maher right there what actually happened was that there was there was a right coming together at one point between two lads and someone Tipperary fella did did say well no lads a great old tribute there but uh, <laughs> that was me trying to bat down a ball and the hurl came apart but um, anyway we're getting sorted for another one but so that, so that's it and it's and it's just this, it's a brilliant connection in a way that I do feel that the GEA does so many things right in terms of uh, harnessing the community and like the biggest volunteer movement in the country and like you look at the numbers that are involved but it doesn't really tend to engage people in an organised way beyond if you're not interested in being involved in the junior season that competitive level of having training in games if it's just that five-a-side nature to it it doesn't, hasn't I should say typically historically done that that well with engaging people but this is this type of thing is absolutely brilliant it's just that there's it is against all marketing um, um, regulations in the sense of half-paced hurling it really isn't like it's full bore once the whistle goes uh, our lads are rolling back the years and you can see the fellas who are who've played a bit of senior there's plenty of them down there who've played a bit of senior hurling yeah. and no, they really stand out from the crowd and when you say you played for two weeks in your teens do you mean that literally? yeah Right, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, like hurling is not necessarily a game that you can bluff in, in much the same way that I would say football is the same. Not getting soccer is the same. Like I, I think that with, with getting football, at least you can, if you're playing at that level, you can grab the ball, hand pass it to somebody, and hide. 
with hurling, like there is a touch involved, there is an actual ability to make contact with the ball that only comes with practice. If you haven't played hurling yeah. until your 40s, you're a bit screwed. So I kind of am a little bit suspicious of your two weeks thing. So fair play. I, I don't know what you're a bit suspicious about. If you were to see any video of me in action, Owen, you'd be like, this guy, he's, he is brutal. I'm, I'm absolutely not sitting here saying that I'm offering anything. To, I did score a goal. And she's an eye tone. So I mean, there was you, you started. What's there? Describe the goal to us. Well, so the ball comes across. I've leapt leapt in the air, AFL style almost, to reach into the night sky and you know pluck this ball from the air. It wasn't exactly in my mind's eye. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in reality, I'd say the video might look slightly differently. But I got a short grip in the hurl, which I hadn't thought about in week one. Only when I heard somebody who actually knew what they were doing tell one of their, our opponents, "Take it, take a short grip, have a have a lash." I thought, "Oh, short grip, that'll work." Because before that, I was having a shot and goal and every time I got near it I'd fling it out here and yeah. I'd have a go at it and like anybody within an arse or me was knocking it out of my hand so the short grip worked yeah sort of sideways on goal in it went and I kinda, I'm not going to lie after that I kind of thought oh, that's that's grand that's me done I can go home now and tell everybody I'd scored a goal and that'll be I don't need to do much more was, was there a little fist bump was there a little celebration internally I know you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be Jesus on the hurling snobs wouldn't be having that like you couldn't go out sort of high-fiving anybody or fist pumping is second nature to oh I suppose no. you didn't win a free out that is yeah no, free a goal, out yeah, yeah, or having a shoulder off someone or whatever like yeah. a uh, Dermot O'Connor style um, shoulder off somebody that would that would definitely be appropriate but anyway I'm feeling the aches and pains of it it's brilliant and I love it and the collegiality of it the community of it it's fantastic I encourage people I've sat around I'm 44 I've sat around for pretty much the last 15 years <laughs> saying I'm going to do something wait you wait will you wait and see I'm going to do something <laughs> and it wasn't until I basically had my arm sort of twisted to go and do it that I absolutely went for it but I do recommend people that are sort of on the fence about it go for it like if it's five side if it's badminton squash uh, tag rugby whatever you're thinking about go for it like it's it's brilliant it's great for the mind and it's great for the body and like I dare say as well that people in, in your position would be most vulnerable to getting coaxed into the GEA to, to play a Gaelic sport uh, well, because you're naturally going to be down there with your kids it, or was, it was that treadmill of that was exactly how it kicked off mm. the club is chemical croaks they are unbelievable Honestly, from day one when you go in, they harness that volunteer movement and they had the structures that are in place are so slick of uh, making sure that whatever uh, opportunities are there for you to to be involved and to contribute are, are opened up and it's brilliant. Um, so I love it and. Um, I mean, I'd be, I, I think my plan is to go every second week. To be honest, on every second week is about right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 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 feeling having crawled out of the bed this morning. Literally, to to uh, you know, you're the next morning you're barely able to put your socks on. I'm thinking every week might be a bit too much, but every second week I'll be I'll be very happy with. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 you can. I mean, it's the Astro really as much as anything else. I think I, that's that is a great shout. That is a great shout. Whenever the main pitch is fixed up there, I'm sure they'll absolutely let us uh, crowd hackers over to, to have a lash off it. Um, obviously, in terms of real sport this weekend, the Joy Carberry game is it, can we officially just call it the Joy Carberry game because like you know I think these games can take on a life of their own and the narratives around them can become very clear but I Joy Carberry I was just looking at some of the uh, stats around their own and I haven't read a huge amount of the previews about the game yet and was surprised to see that it's his first ever Six Nations start this is um, 
Andy Farrell is obviously all in in disguise as backup to Johnny Sexton. I think it's my initial reaction when I saw the team was oh, crap and then I thought oh actually well in terms of the World Cup it's probably ideal preparation in a lot of ways because this is the sort of thing exact sort of thing that can happen within a few days of a, of a crucial World Cup game. And I think that this is a really important game in the context of the World Cup as well because there won't be another opportunity to play France in France until the probability slash possibility whatever way you want to look at it of them facing one another in France in next year's World Cup so this is a massive game in that context mm. and what Ireland would have got out of it obviously with a with a full team with Johnny Sexton there is the ability to, to lay down a marker but what may stand Ireland in better stead is an answer to the most important question that we've had over the last couple of years which is who is going to step in when Johnny Sexton does eventually fade into the background now there are two factors to this. The first factor why this question has been kind of put on the long finger is that Sexton has been outstanding when it's when it's been needed the most and he was brilliant last week. The second factor is that some of the understudies haven't been. like the, the, At Leinster and at national level, nobody's completely blown uh, the coaches away to the point where Sexton has been under any real threat. Granted, the, the bar to reach there is, is pretty high. One of Carberry's uh, reasons for that has been his fitness and he is getting to the point or he's probably already at the point where you constantly have this worry around Carberry mm. is how robust can he be like how many minutes will he last at the weekend now, now that's due to I suppose coming back from injury and this being one of his first games back from injury but also if, if he is your starting out half and Sexton in an alternate universe is out for the entire Six Nations how many games would you have expected to get out of Carberry over the next little while so, so that's a real concern but the one way you can actually uh, alleviate some of those concerns is by throwing Carberry into the deep end yeah. and he's been forced to throw him in this weekend so it absolutely is a, a good thing he wouldn't thing. have done it unless your man no wasn't limping no. around but yeah um, and I look back sort of at the um, games that he started but, like he's 26 and he seems as if he's been around for ages right he's been six years this is I think it's his ninth ever start for Ireland that is a really um, he has a not like he might have, I don't know is he 25, uh, 25 or more caps something but, like that yeah um, that's incredible and like when you look at the quality of games they're not great like it's Japan and the USA last July a warm up game against Italy in August 2019 November International against the US in 2018 Italy and Chicago the same year like they're not there was an Australia game in there as well that was probably the, the climax of it so far but they're not this is, these are not quality games this is a real step up for Joey Carberry at the weekend and like you're right I think opportunity obviously when he was at Leinster injury has dogged him a little bit as well and then form and like it's got to be the coming together for Joey Carberry this weekend it's his big opportunity to tell Andy Farrell and the nation that it's grand mm. when you talk about the the difference of the quality the difference in quality Sexton's up here and the rest of them are fighting out for for, for second place this is the biggest opportunity that any of them so far have got to say it's grand I got it yeah like what, what, what is interesting is that this this opportunity for Carberry essentially came up two and a half years ago like uh, at the 2019 World Cup there was a, a premeditated decision to rest Johnny Sexton for the game against Japan mm. and Carberry wasn't available and Carty ends up being that guy so like this is how far back this thing goes that is how frustrating it has been for the last two and a half years for him that I would make a case that if Carberry was in in the first game against England in the 2019 Six Nations for example 
people would have less trepidation about that than they have about this weekend. Mm. Th- he's three years older, he's three years wiser, Great. and yet there are people... Oh, people, people have give, way more concerns. You give him a break, he's a young fella, it's fine. He's just. But in terms of his caps, he's, he is that, he's still that guy. I, I basically think that question marks have emerged over the last little while, and, and I accept that they are unfair question marks because he just hasn't played enough rugby. But I do think that there are legitimate question marks over the robust, how robust he is. So, like, this, this is like the opportunity for Carberry to say, that's nonsense, you're talking nonsense. I mean, I've just been unlucky with injuries over the last little while I I haven't hit those heights because I just haven't been on the pitch enough to hit those heights this weekend is where he, he, he puts that down because when you're talking about some of the more talented players in the Six Nations I'm not for one second suggesting that, that he was ever, anywhere near the talent of Antoine Dupont or Antimac uh, a few years ago but like he was the one like far he, off he, it he in was, an Irish context in an Irish context he, he was definitely the kid who was going to yeah. take Sexton's jersey and I mean this is I guess when you, when you put them in parallel with the French opponents that he's got uh, this weekend he's got to be looking across the line at, at the halfbacks for France and saying okay maybe the, the hype around them and, and like I mean Dupont is world player of the year I'm not again not put, drawing any parallels but he's got to be thinking I can at least hold a candle to them I'm, I'm as I'm, I'm as talented as at least some of those backs that, that are going to be lining out for France this weekend so if he has it in him to, to actually reach that level when Sexton does depart the scene then we're going to see that competitive edge come to the fore this week. We're going to see that bottle um, be sustained over the course of this weekend. And in fairness, like the, there hasn't been a huge amount of opportunities for us to, to really, really question um, what uh, Carberry's mentality is like. In fairness, he's bounced back from injury time and time again. Maybe that shows uh, a, a real sense of fortitude. The, the bottom line with Carberry is we don't know. And with, this with, weekend we'll know more. Agreed uh, with any of them. And actually, Darrow Tool picks up the point on YouTube. He says, "Good morning, Dara." He says, "Jack Carty's the next Irish ten. He plays under more pressure with less good ball delivery than any other any other ten in Ireland. Consistently, he's only he's also the only ten that's captain on his club team. And I do think that there is that element of of." Um, Carberry suddenly like all those games that I listed off earlier on suddenly he's in pretty much a first pick Irish 15 with mm. the best players around him is, which is an opportunity he hasn't had before and we maybe have an opportunity to see a slightly different Joey Carberry to give him his due and to slightly counter the point that you're making there Dara um, and plenty of other comments coming into us as well come on you Gunnar Sasachin who's also saying Westmead lads sorry John Claffey saying Westmead lads in their 20s struggled to hurl can only imagine what the 40 year olds are like which is uh, <laughs> fair enough shout. it's a bit of hackery alright to be fair um and uh, bum, bum, bum. yeah, plenty of other comments coming in there about the hurling and all the stuff as well besides so keep those coming into us but uh, before all of that we have some beef well I don't like them and I don't have to work with people I don't like Patrick Vera is 6 foot 4 so I'm going to go Gary Neville says come and have a go at me you should have gone to Specsavers Charlie well maybe you should go also then Jeff because uh, you couldn't see driving home the other night so I think your argument is back and forward there, Tony. That's the point. I'm wondering... Just let me finish. Let me finish. I'm going to let you finish. You will constipate it all. You can forget about Sean Kavanagh as far as he's a man. If, if you're going to be critical, then you've got to make sure you've got something to back it up with, don't you? Maybe the coaches were maybe panicking a little bit. To me, you've got to have a, a little bit of a better record than that. The beak is real. 
Okay, we are quickly bringing you some NBA beef this morning because it was NBA trade deadline day yesterday. The meat of choice this week is Philly cheesesteak because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, their beef has been cooking along nicely for quite some time and it reached new meaty levels this week. So let's bring you the backstory here. So on one side of this beef, you've got Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers who was a 2014 third overall pick in the NBA draft. That's on the left-hand side beside uh, the Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater. If, if there's ever an opportunity to put that photo on screen I take it he's the current front runner for the MVP award Embiid basically he is good at basketball on the other side of this beef you've got Ben Simmons not of the Philadelphia 76ers anymore he was a 2016 first overall pick in the NBA draft rookie of the year in the league in 2018 he is also good at basketball just not good at basketball in the way you'd like your modern basketball players in the backcourt to be good because basically he can't hit a three-pointer for his life this has been an issue for quite some time, but it really became a big issue in last season's playoffs where things started to go very, very wrong publicly for Simmons. So in the playoffs, he becomes the worst free throw shooter in postseason history with at least 67 attempts. His record from the line is just over 34%, worse than Shaquille O'Neal himself. So it becomes an issue where not only can he not shoot the three-pointer, he can barely shoot the free throw line at this point. This all reaches a very embarrassing head in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semi-finals when they're up against the Atlanta Hawks. And as we can see here, Ben Simmons is in this position, number 25, and he decides to pass the ball. Doesn't even take the layup. He's afraid he's going to get fouled if he goes up and he'll be put to the free throw line. So he passes the ball. It is an embarrassing moment. It is an obscene moment. He is six foot eleven. This becomes a major story in the league. You might think at this point that Simmons needs an arm around his shoulder. But that's not what he gets from his teammate, Joel Embiid. And you can tell he's awkward in this post-match interview, Embiid. But it's pretty clear what he thinks the key moment is in that match. One was, uh, uh, you know, when um, we, um, I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had uh, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw and uh, we missed the other and then they came down and scored uh, and uh, we didn't get a good pos- uh, possession on the other end and Trey came back and he made a three and then from there uh, down four uh, and then I go I he's uh, on me I turn the ball over uh, and try to you know make something happen so the turning point was uh, Ben Simmons not taking that layup himself and Simmons is very upset with this according to sources in reports recently he's upset that Embiid blamed him at this point despite the fact that Simmons did not blame Embiid for their loss to the Raptors in 2019 that's the series uh, with the buzzer beater uh, the unhappiness then gets taken into the last summer into the off season when he goes to train in Los Angeles and decides his relationship with Embiid is broken it's run its course they can't work together again Embiid calls Simmons comments in this case disrespectful and the Sixers can't actually make a trade work so he's stuck the Sixers last summer and then he declines to go back to work for preseason, citing mental health reasons for his absence but he does eventually go back in October on the eve of the season now this comeback doesn't last long because on the 19th of October the day the NBA season starts Doc Rivers asks him to take part in a training drill he refuses to do so and he is sent home he was then suspended for conduct detrimental to the team and later that day Embiid did not hold back when asked about Simmons but at the end of the day, our job is not to babysit somebody. Uh, you know, we you know, we get paid to put just on the court, go on, uh, play hard, uh, win some games. Uh, that's all we get paid for. We don't get paid to come out here and, you know, try to babysit somebody and, 
Um, so that's that's not our job, and I'm sure my teammates feel that way. And there's more from that same president. At this point, I don't care about that man, honestly. He does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games, uh, you know, play hard every night, uh, try to lead, you know, the guys that we have here. Uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way because, you know, our chemistry has been excellent uh, despite, you know, everything that's been happening in the, uh, in the last few months. Uh, so yeah, like I said, uh, I don't, I don't really care. So they were stuck in this standoff for the first half of the season. He goes on to become the most fined player in NBA history. Some reports suggested that Ben Simmons had surpassed $10 million in fines by the end of 2021. But yesterday, on trade deadline day, everyone was put out of their misery. The Brooklyn Nets sent James Harden to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry and two future first round picks. Most importantly, though, Embiid weighed in on Twitter with this post. For our radio listeners, Embiid posted that, that uh, Twitter meme in which an Instagram user posted that he showed up to one of my biggest haters' funerals just to make sure that his hater was dead. So uh, the beef is realer than ever after this. But March the 11th, stick it down in your calendar where the beef may get even realer again because uh, the Brooklyn Nets are in Philadelphia. And I dare say that the home crowd will not give Ben Simmons an inch that night. That is this week's Beef is Real. Well, I don't like them. And I don't have to work with people I don't like. Patrick Vera is six foot four. So I'm going to go with Gary Neville. He says, come and have a go at me. You should have gone to Specsavers, Charlie. Well, maybe you should go also then, Jeff, because uh, you couldn't see driving home the other night. Don't you ever talk about me! So I think your argument is back and forward there, don't we? That's the point. I'm wondering... We, just let me finish. Let me finish. I'm going to let you finish. Pure constipated. You can forget about Sean Kavanagh as far as he's a man. If, if you're going to be critical, then you've got to make sure you've got something to back it up with, don't you? Maybe the coaches are maybe panicking a little bit. To me, you've got to have a, a little bit of a better record than that. The beef is real. <laughs> The Beef is Real 5 to 8 Friday morning you're watching OTBAM brought to you by Gillette Good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors here's what's coming up between now and 10 for you this morning uh, we're going to get into our quick picks Will is standing by Tommy's standing by in just a couple of moments time uh, update you on where the table is at after last week as well Vinnie Perth is going to talk uh, Liverpool he's going to talk Brendan Rodgers and exactly where his stock is at this morning after the 2-0 defeat last night probably a bit of Arsenal as well and looking ahead to the weekend we'll let you know what's happening across the back pages an interesting story developing from the uh, Winter Olympics this morning as well let you know about that a little bit later on uh, Alan Quinlan will look ahead obviously to La Crunch um, as we're obliged by contract to call it uh, this weekend Ireland against France in the Six Nations uh, we're going to talk to two lads who 20 years ago were lining up for Galwegians and are now preparing to row 5,000 kilometres across the Atlantic in a boat and it's uh, pretty insane we're going to talk uh, to Fergus Farrell and Damien Brown at uh, 5 to 9 crappy quiz live crappy quiz I know it's what you all hanging around for uh, owns some busy all week and uh, 10 past 9 coming your way there and then Colin Fenley in conversation with OTB last night from half past 9 uh, this morning so that is that but right now 5 to 8 quick picks Somebody's critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion well, good morning to you, Tommy. How are you getting on? 
Morning chaps Morning lads Scandalous omission of not having hurling predictions last week for the start of the league Thankfully now with the football break we get to do all the hurling quick picks across Division 1 this week Well you need to focus more on not calling draws to you know that's that's where the real beef is in this thing Ah, uh, but the draws may well be Adrian where the profit might be from this week uh, because it's going to be one or two I think quite close games not to spoil the predictions uh, coming up in a few minutes time and on this show oftentimes we like to kind of nail our colours to the mast and go that team's going to win they're going to destroy the other team I, this weekend there's a couple of games where draws could potentially happen the great, the great caveat in all of this is that Will you're campaigning for more importance to be placed in the hurling league and then you declined to remove Limerick off the top of your power rankings after they were beaten in the Hurling League. So, does it matter or does it not, Will? Look, if any lesson was learned from last year on, it was the people who questioned Limerick after three games of the National Hurling League when they hadn't won. And people were wondering, maybe this Limerick team are coming towards the end of a cycle or are they having a stuttering start? Is COVID affecting them? Are they going to be the team that we thought they were last year when they go into a knockout championship later in the year? And Limerick went on to be the best team in the country again. It, they've got so much credit in the bank, it is going to take a little while to knock them off the top of those power rankings. Even if they don't win against Galway this weekend, I think Limerick just based on what they've done over the last three or four years they're going to sit top for a while and this is a Limerick team without Keane Lynch he's been ripping it up in college hurling as opposed to inter-county and uh, again I think they'll just keep going without him and maybe Limerick might learn a little bit about their panel against Galway this week as well Can we have a look at the uh, standings? Have we got a mark? Oh I don't know if we have the table No standings Is that because this is the usual crap where I do really well and then it just doesn't appear for a couple of weeks (laughs) and as soon as I get knocked off the standings suddenly before you know it on it's like you know well, you had, you were the first week off, Adrian, so I don't know. How I know, and I think, I think I'm still probably ahead of a couple of you. Look, we're all here for a good time, Adrian. It doesn't matter about the table at this stage. Limerick against Galway. Limerick against Galway. Will, so the truest endorsement of what Owen has been talking about there would be for you to go for Limerick this weekend. We can take a look at uh, which way everybody's going. And Will, you're that fence. You, Back in the Splinters fence. right here. Yeah. yeah, this thing, and this isn't trying to appeal to Galway people who are annoyed about where they were in the power rankings in the opening week. Um, I genuinely think that with Limerick, what we saw last week, very low scoring for them to only score 11 points at Wexford Park. I'm not saying that they're going to be vulnerable, but this Galway team started very well, albeit against you know opposition coming out of Division 2 from last year. They scored 422, could easily have scored 722 or 822 last week. So they've started the season with a big kind of scoring intent about them. We didn't see that about Limerick where they got tied up, particularly their full forwards last week. Why can't Galway? Saturday night hurling under the lights at the Gaelic grounds go and put in a big performance under Henry Shefflin tomorrow and keep Limerick to a draw. I think Limerick will still rook out a result out of the game, but I think this game is going to be very close and whoever wins it is probably going to only win it by a couple of points anyway. And we've had some good battles between these sides. It makes for good matchups, even you know with Galway having a slight difference in personnel this year and obviously Joe Canning is not around this time around, but similarly Keane Lynch is not going to be in midfield for Limerick on Saturday night. I think they, they match up very well with Limerick physically and as a result I think this is going to be close even if it doesn't end up being a draw I'd be surprised if there was more than a couple of points between the sides come full time They can't be as bad as last weekend Tommy is my logic for Limerick here 100% Adrian and I, I agree with Will I think it is going to be close and I think that Henry is going to get a tune out of Galway very very quickly that we're all going to be impressed by but I just think with Limerick there has to be a sting in the tail and I know this is something that we said about Dublin after being beaten by Mayo and it rolled into three defeats in a row now but the colour looked like it had drained from the Limerick faces the last day after Wexford so they are definitely not in the same arc as Dublin in terms of the great teams that we've been seeing at the minute Limerick aren't finished yet they aren't I don't think they're on the way down yet so I'd be expecting um, 
them to come back with a bit of a vengeance this weekend and I think it will be close-ish but I I, th- I do think Limerick will pull away and win my maybe five or six is what I'm calling Wow your margin is not my uh, no. margin is definitely not that big no right? not, not. I think Will could be onto something with the with the draw here it's a really good, interesting early marker for Galway this year to kind of see where they are in relation to Limerick because the, the notion has been out there over the last little while that Galway may have the physicality to be the team to beat Limerick and I guess they to a point proved that last year in the league but as Limerick proved then they don't really care too much about this competition which is why I'm not overly confident in my prediction but backing against Limerick just feels like not a correct thing to do at this I'll point concur or at any that. point concur with that Antrim against Dublin is one that <laughs> on the face of it we've all gone one direction and we could all look like mugs uh, will come Sunday evening here like my main thing is I'm sort of half expecting natural order to resume after um some some outcomes last, or certainly some scorelines last week that that maybe made a few of us question what we were thinking about it. But like, there there is also given the conversation we've just been having a big case for Antrim here. They did very well last year. They um, took a couple of big scalps. Dublin, interestingly, in the league last year had most to spare over them, mm. and that's probably why I'm leaning a little bit for Dublin in this one. Yeah, look, Dublin started the, well, the year extremely well. They won the Walsh Cup. They put Wexford to the sword in Crow Park a few weeks ago, just before the start of the campaign. Dublin backed up that performance by getting a very credible draw against Waterford last weekend, even having to you know battle after the cards that were handed out in the second half. And similarly, I saw Antrim play against Offaly in the Walsh Cup a few weeks ago, where Antrim put out pretty much their first strength fifteen, and in game where they had to play a man short for more than a half. They actually won the second half 14 against 15 against Offaly. If they hadn't been so far behind at half time in that game Antrim could well have won. And then Antrim went and played Kilkenny on the back of their games against uh, Galway and Offaly where they played reasonably well in the group stages of the Walsh Cup and put in a really good performance against what would have to be called an experimental enough Kilkenny team. Kilkenny would probably be closer to their first team for their game against Tipperary this week but Antrim definitely impressed in defeat last week and that makes this one a really different one to call especially like, let's see how Dublin are on the road but I think Matty Kenny is targeting the start of the year for Dublin to try and get off to a really good start and so unfortunately boringly I've gone with you guys in picking up a Dublin two points here it's the one game that it's guaranteed to end in a draw now with. hmm I'd be typical I thought when Tommy was talking about the Dublin arc earlier on he was referring to the Dublin hurlers because they're just going to the moon at the moment aren't they and there's there's no stopping them and uh, I'd be surprised that even in the, the confines of Corrigan Park where they to to get beaten uh, that's the I mean cliche bingo with Antrim very passionate people up there in and around certain bars Corrigan Park tough place to go <laughs> these two things are definitely true and would and would make you question uh, backing Dublin in that sort of environment but as Will says they've been excellent so far this year I think I think this is um I think this is going to be another win for Dublin. Yeah, and beat uh, they've beaten Clare, they've beaten Leash, like they're, they're all the cliches you want. But actually, Antrim have I think a good case on this one. Tommy actually is reminds me a little bit like Charlie Hawley because depending on whatever county you land on, he's got you know it's like Tommy Bingo here. He's got associations with so many countries around uh, counties around the country that he's. Um, his his bias knows no bounds. So Clare against Wexford, I have to say a game that I was totally torn on. I'd written down one thing and then I changed it. And then having sent it through, I thought, oh, I need to change it again. But anyway, I've gone for Clare. Let's see which way everybody's going. Needless to say, Tommy is with me and the other two lads are going going against us. I thought this was a very, very tough one. I'd be intrigued to hear what Will's logic was in this. Because on the one hand, Clare... I don't think we've got a team sheet yet, do we? John Connell could no. be back for Clare this weekend, which is no. obviously a, a huge addition. They were second best against Cork last week, so you're going to need an improvement for them. The the, the kind of the, the whole control on this is Cork. How good were Cork last week? Yeah. Were Cork that much better than Clare? 
or were Clare bad? We don't know yet. We'll know this weekend. I'm I'm hedging my bets on the fact that Cork maybe beat them relatively healthily last week without being amazing. Wexford's defence last week gives me great encouragement playing a lot of big men at the back which I just feel is conducive to a pretty good league campaign. I, I know Limerick weren't great last week, but 11 points, their lowest total since, what, 2010 in a, in a, in a league game. That, that's an extremely impressive defensive outing from Wexford. I will back a defence in this sort of thing in league time. The one issue that, that I really kind of weighed up at the end is is the venue. And, like, I mean, if you want to roll that cliche bingo again, like, I mean, the, the venue thing is a massive facet when it comes to Wexford in particular and, and Wexford Park this game not being in Wexford Park and being in Cusick Park instead I feel is is, is a real feather in the cap if you're, for you guys tipping Clare and I guess the fact that Clare won this fixture by three points last summer as well suggests that they are a little bit better but I'm backing Wexford to just close that a little bit and the fact that their defence looked so good last week yeah, Well you talk about Limerick Wexford scored nothing themselves um, mm. and that's a big part of my rationale and I I, uh, I also think that I'd go heavy in on Owen's point Tommy about Cork um, I would say they're just a really good team so that would be my, my logic yeah, for like expecting a Clare bounce back Similarly to your point there Adrian like Clare were a point up after 25 minutes or 23 minutes the last day and it was incredible. Like Cork spelled them before half time. I think they put up one nine, and the game was essentially over then at half time. Like this is Brian Lowe's third year in charge of Clare. They they would have been really disappointed with coming home from Cork the last night. They're at home. He's going to want to make a statement. I think league. I think home form in the league or home advantage in the league is a, is a big thing. And I don't think there's a whole pile. I know Will has done his power rankings out and he's been getting a bit of grief for them, but I don't think there's a whole pile between the teams in the yeah. middle pack, between Galway and Ninth, in and around to the probably number two. Who's number two in your power rankings? Will? Cork at the moment, but just head of Waterford, but not a huge amount in there, that. There, there really isn't a huge amount between those eight teams there. Um, they're all, they all have a, an opportunity this year to possibly challenge Limerick. So I just think, Claire, there's going to be a response in, in Cusick Park this weekend. Um, you saw the incredible story during the week of St. Joseph Tulla winning the uh, winning the Hearty Cup beating Arts Goldrish. Like, if you don't get a response off the back of that, I don't know. The, the response, I think, Will is going to come after Davy's comments on the Sunday game. I was, I suddenly found myself going, "What's he going to have to say?" But this, this is, this is going to be epic. Um, and he was pretty critical of them, wasn't he? He was, was it a positional? Uh, they don't know what they're doing. Type comment. Yeah, like as the philosopher Chris Eubank once said, this game has a little bit of spice about it. And <laughs> like these teams have met so so often in championship in recent years as well, and maybe a little bit of the the beef to use uh, Owen's terminology has been taken out of it at this stage because it's not Lowen against Fitzgerald, but still it's weird how he's now a looming presence because he's become a pundit on the Sunday game so it's going to be intriguing to see what his comments are going to be about either his native county or about Wexford uh, when we get the highlights on Sunday evening but you look at this game and the intriguing thing about it is Clare definitely drifted out of it and Cork were able to get scores at will last weekend I don't think they're going to defend as loosely as last week and my concern would be that when I was putting this prediction in yesterday I actually thought that Rory O'Connor was potentially going to be back for Wexford this weekend he's been nursing a hamstring injury and then wasn't able to play Sigerson last night which would indicate that he's not going to be back for this weekend so it's a Wexford team going to Ennis without Lee Chin and without Rory O'Connor and given how many scores Rory O'Connor gets for the team it puts a lot of pressure back onto McDonald to almost carry a lot of the scoring load in Jack O'Connor within that forward line for Wexford which makes me wonder about the prediction this one is like such a difficult one to call 
as a result of that. And Clare people will probably think they've got the number over Wexford in Championship over the last couple of years and that they'll just carry on and win this weekend. I think there'll be a response from Clare, but if Wexford hurled with the type of manic aggression that they showed against Limerick last week, I think they've got a good chance of upsetting it in Ennis on Sunday afternoon. Going to scoot through a few of the next ones. Offaly Cork, we've all gone uh, one direction on that. Uh, Waterford against Leash, we've all gone one direction on that. And then Tipperary against Kilkenny. Um, let's take a look here. It's tip across the board. It's another one that, like, who the hell knows? Okay, this is Adrian, before we go well, on to, to Kilkenny and yeah. Tip, the one thing to remember is that Leash put in a really strong performance against Waterford in the Championship last year, which is almost like a catalyst going into this year, is that if they can perform the way they did in that qualifier, they've got a chance of advancing from where they were under Cheddar Plunkett at the start of last year. And Leash, they're without Paddy Purcell because he's suspended after the red card from last week against Tipperary. But again, they hurled very well against a new-look Tipperary team last week. So I know we're kind of writing it off and Cork should win handsomely in Burr against, against Offaly. But Leash could actually put it up to Waterford in the other game. I fully expect that Waterford are going to win, but I think you have to respect the way Leash hurled against them last year. Um, it's only that you mentioned Leash. You should all feel embarrassed. Yourself, uh, yourself and Tommy, particularly after last weekend and the comeuppance that Leash were on the end of again at the hands of Westmead. I don't know what you lads are thinking. <laughs> what, like, it totally undermines any credibility that you have in any of these conversations ever the nonsense you called there, there was a comment on the well. I did not call Leash it was a misgraphic if you watch it back there was a comment on the football power ranking saying that I and Westmead need to get a room Oof. turns wow. out we have a room <laughs> wow. me and Adrian Barry on a Friday morning <laughs> <laughs> now, now this is, a, this is we're moving into proper spice bag territory here mm. um, you're going with tip on I'm going with tipping this one. Yeah, like I, I think that the Kilkenny performance, the 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 mystery of the the Antrim performance last week, given it wasn't on League Sunday, is something that we're looking at in kind of cold numbers and uh, the Tipperary kind of recovery after the loss of the Matters is going to be something that possibly gives them added motivation over the course of these next few weeks. There are a couple of spots up for grabs in that team they're playing at home this weekend for me it's just edging it like I, I, I appreciate why Will is going for a draw in a lot of these games because these games are patently close and impossible to call we do realise that like there's a small probability of a draw there's a greater probability of just picking a side on defence here Will so mm. I think he should be applauded rather than being criticised for, for sitting on defence too much Yeah look Kilkenny obviously will be watching on tomorrow afternoon to see how TJ Reid and his teammates at Ballyhale get on and he transforms them when he comes back into the team in a few weeks time they're, without him now. You look at how experimental they went against Antrim last week. I'm intrigued to see 9 o'clock tonight when the team sheet comes out from Kilkenny because Cody tends to put out a pretty legit team ahead of the weekend. Uh, what kind of side Kilkenny pick for this week? Because last week obviously we didn't get to see the footage of it because it wasn't uh, shown in the highlights but in all the reports there was a feeling that Kilkenny had deliberately gone a little bit experimental week on, not in a disrespectful way to Antrim but they knew they had temporary week 2 so it was a good chance to maybe try some players out and to look at positions on week 1 and then to try and go towards a stronger team when they play against their rivals uh, Kilkenny and Tip could be playing over Tiddlywinks and they're going to go at each other on uh, Sunday afternoon so I'm intrigued to see um, what kind of response Kilkenny put up after being a bit lacklustre last week and Tipperary I saw a bit of the video of the game against Leash they had weird stages in that game I know missing the penalty would have put them into a very comfortable position and they almost left Leash in the game where Ender Rowland uh, the Leash goalkeeper was able to send over some long range frees to keep them within touch but Tip will feel that they probably should have killed the game in the second half when Leash went down and men weren't able to do so and let's see if they can find that clinical edge when they play against Kilkenny The AIB All-Ireland Club uh, Championship Finals obviously this weekend as well let's take a quick look at which way we've all gone on this uh, I'm going for Croaks this is my Tommy hat on on but also, I do think they'll win it. Like I, you know, I think that um, 
What's the argument for it, Adrian? It's been, I know that people are saying, obviously, without Paul Mannion, that um, they might come a cropper. And I also think there's a bit like everybody hates us and we don't care about Kim Crooks in terms of the narrative that builds around them. But um, can, I just, can I ask, like, obviously, you've got a good insight here as coach of the under threes at Kim Crooks. What are you seeing at <laughs> grassroots level that's inspiring? It's the, it's the under sixes on. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get it right here. Let's get it right. Like, look, uh, I definitely think you could watch Crooks this year and um, come to the conclusion that you threw three mugs of up with it. I totally accept that that uh, there have been games where they've played a half of football and have managed to scrape over the line and um, I just think that that's not going to be the case this weekend that I think um, they'll turn up for the full uh, the full game and we'll uh, we'll we'll get it done on and I'll be down there in Glenalbin afterwards with a uh, pint in hand enjoying myself that's kind with of your cheese your wine and your cheese yeah, yeah, big weekend uh, big weekend Kilmacud in Ireland uh, all, all the guys are at this weekend like um, uh, Tommy I actually just want a question for you is this is, is this like your or Nirvana this week seeing Kilku four points Kilmacud five points at full time at the weekend like is, is this what you live for as a GEA died in the wool fan um, are, you, are you saying that I'd like to see a brawl this weekend Absolutely no I mean it's going to it's going to be turgid there's every, every possibility that it's going to like sometimes we see these two teams like this who, who play football that hasn't been amazing during the year effective don't get me wrong and the game ends up being a cracker like I mean we, we it sometimes defies yeah. all logic but uh, if we're assuming that it's not going to defy logic we're not expecting a belter this weekend no I think you're right I think it's going to be it is going to be that type of game although like I do think Kukur are a different animal than, than what Croaks have met so far this year um I think Croaks have got away with it at times. I, I think against in Pierce's in the semi-final, Pierce's will probably have regrets about not going for that game enough when they when they probably had the chance to. And uh, Croaks were very good at managing that game as it went on. I just think Kilku with the Brannigans, they got they got away with with what happened at the end of the game against Finbars. Um, I just think there's there's too much quality in that field from Kilku across the board. They're sick after Carfin bet them after extra time in 2019. They feel like this is their chance, and I just think Adrian's going to be crying into his cheese board. On <laughs> let's see, let's see what way the hurling has gone. <laughs> Uh, it's a split vote there and we don't have a huge amount of time to get into it but we do have uh, just before we leave the quick picks Will's 30 second review of Les Mis really good um, very good production I had to wait quite a while for this as well Adrian because I think I bought the tickets about two years ago and it was like a year lead in to when it was due to be on last summer and then COVID-19 intervened and it's primarily the London cast who've come over um, so it's a really really strong cast lots of you know the actor who's playing Javera has been doing Les Mis since 2002 so that just goes to show um, how talented the cast were but the choreography is excellent uh, the use of the backdrops and the Borgosh was just uh, incredible uh, Les Mis is a fantastic musical anyway and if people there are still a few tickets available because I'm guessing some people probably sent them back when they weren't able to go at this time of year when it was rescheduled it's running for a few weeks I think it's running for three weeks at the Borgosh if you've got a chance to get tickets go and watch Les Mis Willow really, Callan really has not been paid for this slot and nor no. was he teed up about it that was an incredible review what's the main song in Les Mis? Um, probably Bring Him Home maybe One Day More there's a load there's a load of hits um, Bring Him Home what is it? How does it go? Bring Him Home is like the massive solo that Jean Valjean has early in Act 2. It's a blaster, Will. That's, that's oh, I'm, not, I'm not singing, I'm definitely not singing one of the most difficult songs to sing <laughs> on a solo out of nowhere on OTBM with no music behind me whatsoever. I want to come out of here with some credibility. The hurling rankings... Well, there's no, the credibility is gone. Yeah, the quick, the quick picks in the hurling rankings that. steal the credibility enough. Let me leave with something out in the studio this morning. <laughs> Thanks, lads. That's quick Cheers. picks. Cheers. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but... They're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. 
All right, it's uh, quarter past eight. It's Friday morning. You're watching RTPM. Still uh, lots to come. Pack show here, right here and uh, crappy quiz after nine o'clock. We're going to be talking rugby with Alan Quinlan up next. Football, Vinnie Perth. OTB. All right, it's almost 17 minutes past eight. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBM. A very good morning to you, wherever it is you're at. Keep the comments coming into us about the football, the rugby, and anything else it is that you're having yourself. Finney Perth, good morning to you. Morning, how are we doing, mate? Going good. Um, you were watching Liverpool uh, beat Leicester 2-0 last night. Um, another chance, obviously, for Liverpool to remind Brendan Rodgers about, uh, that they were, he was punching above his weight uh, in that relationship. And uh, that was certainly how it worked out last night. Only for Schmeichel, Vinny, it could have been a bit more. Yeah, I thought Liverpool were really, really good. Um, you know, started the game really well and just dominated. Leicester, Leicester, I suppose, were under par as well, which which helped Liverpool on the day. But I think there was huge positives for Liverpool. They've they've spent a month or nearly six weeks at this stage without Salah and Mane, and and albeit they haven't played lots of league games, uh, they've continuously won or or done really well. So uh, it was a really positive night for Liverpool. Uh, Diaz. Uh, looks like again Liverpool's recruitment department by and large have made really good decisions over the, the last number of years you compare that to other clubs like Jota has been an amazing signing for them and Diaz just looks like a proper real Liverpool style of player under Klopp he looks a perfect fit he's he's only played a game and a half and um, for me he looks outstanding um, looks a real find and to be honest with you it, it might sound strange to some people but you can see him putting uh, Ma- uh, Ma- uh, Mane under lots of pressure. That's how good he is in that position for me. So um, it's what a manager wants, real strength and depth for Liverpool. So a really good night for them. Albeit I still have some concerns about the midfield. I think that's what's holding them back at the moment. But excellent night for Liverpool. And, and um, um, Alisson had almost nothing to do on the night. Say the all of Klopp's attacking options are fit for the second leg of the Inter Milan game, for example. Who, who are you starting now in, in that front three? Um, I suppose, I suppose, from a manager and, and, and where you're coming from, it would be hard not to go with Mane, um, Salah, and Jota. They're they're the form three for Liverpool. Uh, Firmino's form has dipped off a little bit over the last sort of twelve eighteen months, and which is great that Jota has come in and sort of scored all them goals so um, yes at the moment I'd say uh, Mane will come back into the team but I, I'd be on red alert if I was saying this guy Diaz looks the real deal and if he continues to do what he's doing I wouldn't be surprised if he takes his place but Liverpool's front three you'd, you'd expect would be Jota Mane and, and Salah what, what's he doing Vinny what, what sort of a player is he why are you uh, so bowled uh, over by him um, I, I think um, he, he just looks like he suits Liverpool, which which in terms of the way they play. So he's got that high energy. Uh, his he he'll, Liverpool obviously into that counter press. So it looks like he he, he that's why they scouted him, and obviously they spotted that for, from his former clubs. But uh, he's, he's high press. He's he, he closed people down, but also he's got real skill and ability on the ball. He's brilliant with the ball at his feet, dribbling. Um, a goal, the goal the other day that Minamino scored his sort of little one-two with himself on the end line that, that great feet quick feet it was brilliant um, so he looks like he has a bit of everything in terms of that work rate uh, there, was a, there was a tackle last night um, where he recovered a 10 yard run sliding tackle won the ball back for Liverpool and the stadium uh, got to the feet from it's little things like that that win fans over and um, and and they're great. Like James Milner has all of that stuff, but he has the other stuff as well. He has 
amazing feet, um, um, good, good close control. And I would say there's a goal scorer in him as well. That will come in time. I'd say he's just waiting. I think if he gets one, it's only been a game and a half. I think he'd want to score a goal. So he looks, genuine. looks the real deal, albeit it's only a game and a half. Vinny, what's your take on where Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City are at? Because, like, Rodgers speaking in the aftermath of the game said that the set pieces are an Achilles heel for us and they conceded again last night, that there are noticeable weaknesses in this team that, despite the injuries, it seems Rodgers is incapable of fixing at the moment. Like, the, it does seem the mood has changed and the stocks have lowered on on uh, Brendan Rodgers quite considerably over the last couple of months. Yeah, it was interesting when, when Liverpool got the corner where... Um, uh, I think it was Van Dijk. Van Dijk got the free header, um, and then they scored off the second one just before that corner. So my friend of mine and I said to him, uh, "The two of us sort of agreed this is this is a real chance for Liverpool because of so if I know that and people sitting on the sofa know that, then Brandon Rogers knows it, and you can be sure he's tried to fix it on the training ground. And I think there's a, there's a couple of things um, with Rogers and where he stands. First of all. The loss of Fafana in the preseason friendly, where just a ridiculous tackle, in, um, where he got his leg broken, has been a huge blow for them. Johnny Evans has missed um, a lot of the season, um, so they've been they've been really short in that centre half position. Um, the Swedish international uh, Vestergaard, who I thought was a good player, he he hasn't played either. He's been in and out form. So there's been some. Uh, um, the problem hasn't been scoring goals Leicester it's been conceding and as you as you alluded to there set pieces I think that's 13 goals last night mate. I think it was 12 up until last night so I think that's 13 set piece goals to give away so that's that's a huge problem and ultimately that will come back to the manager but when you lose you know big centre half you, like you've had to play in DDS centre half at different stages um, so yeah I, I, I think I think You've got to give um, Rogers a little bit. He has credit in the bank for me. There will be a lot of noise around his job. But when you look at the team that started last night, Albrighton, Luckman and Daka as his front three. I mean, and, and he's picked them, but people like Vardy, obviously, is the obvious one, has missed a lot of football this year. But if you think back to 12, 18 months ago, Ian Acho was, was excellent for them. Uh, Tillemans, Harvey Barnes, people like that. Um, Chowdhury these were first team players and, and there's a lot of players have lost a bit of form or, the, or, or a lot of injuries in that club and you've got to give Rodgers a little bit of time and it, when you compare say a club like Leicester to, to Everton Everton would love to have the headaches that Leicester are having at the moment just going through a bad run comfortably mid-table but over the last three years I think they finished fifth twice and won an FA Cup so I think you've got to just uh, breed a little bit of your own Leicester or you, you, you support them and, and give Rodgers a little bit of time to turn around for me that's coming from a, a football manager and like football is not often like that Vinny the, and look at you right and also the thing is like there's plenty of teams good teams in the Premier League that are going to lose 2-0 to Liverpool this season as well but you mentioned I think was I actually one of the players that he ditched out last night after the Forest game at the weekend he is yeah. the favourite in the market to be the next Premier League manager that's sacked the conversation will will start to bubble up and bubble up unless he arrests us sometime soon. From what you were seeing last night, did, did there look, like in terms of the relationship between Rodgers and you were saying, obviously there's a very obvious situation unfolding in the pitch and his ability to 
change that? Did it look, in a footballing sense, when you forget about the noise, like as if there was a growing detachment from what you could see last night, or was it stuff that you think, if you could just regroup? I know, obviously, you're talking about players' form. I That's a, an impossible one to know uh, how to fix that in, in quick order. But from what you could see last night, like how close do you think that when I talk about the market and how close he is to the exit door how close could you see in a football sense last night to his ability to turn it around or otherwise no I, I get the noise like I get um, I, I'm obviously pragmatic in terms of being someone who, who's a coach and is looking at the bigger picture and football doesn't run that way and football clubs don't generally run that way but um, and one one thing that I did notice is they didn't go into the, the, the market uh, in the January window so that's where we don't know exactly what's going on in the club. So they signed three players last summer for around 50, 55 million. Well, by all accounts, Leicester City lost 60, 70 million in the pandemic through gate receipts, et cetera, et cetera, like anyone else. So while you've got very wealthy owners, they're not the billionaires of others. So there may be a process in that club where it's a rebuild. When you look at um, Lou Thomas, a fullback, uh, Justin, the other fullback, young players, Dewsbury Hall in midfield there may be a little process going on in Leicester where it's just a a rebuilding process and as I said when you add in those players like we all thought Tillemans was about was good enough well a lot of us considered someone like Tillemans good enough to go to and maybe in Manchester United maybe do a job in Liverpool and I still think he has that capabilities but he's been on the bench a little bit of late Uh, he's lost a bit of form and and managers take responsibility for players losing form so I think it's a combination of all of those little bits and pieces that um, would, would I be shocked if, if Brandon Rogers went to Liverpool or to Manchester United at the end of the season? No, I wouldn't be shocked. Would it be a difficult job for him? Yes, because of his Liverpool connections, etc., etc. But he, he is held in a high regard in English football. Um, he is an outstanding manager. And I just think... Um, where you consider that Leicester club and what he's done in his time there, winning the FA Cup, as I said, for the first time in the history and being in around that sort of fifth position. Outside of the the, so, the so-called top six, he's done a remarkable job. And I think mm. if, if Arteta won an FA Cup this year and finished fifth, it would be considered close enough to success. And that's what Rodgers has generally done with Leicester. So mm. um, I'm on his side on this one. I think... Um, We've got to breathe a little bit and give him some time. And hopefully, the, not that the Leicester board will be listening to me, but I hope that's what they do. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I don't think like, there's any question of his job being under threat. I guess the, the conversation around Rodgers was such a such a glowing one a, a year ago. And as you say, the Manchester United links seemed real, even when Lampard was sacked as Chelsea manager. And it felt like there was going to be a, a Chelsea move for Brendan Rodgers. So the, I guess the question is, can you see him getting back into that conversation again? Because it does seem that the Manchester United one is a separate case because, I don't know, people needed to be reminded of his Liverpool history or something and maybe Rafa and, and how quickly he was hounded out of Everton maybe would, would dissuade a club from going after a, a manager of a, a previous manager of a rival. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point on that. You know, the Rafa thing is in people's mind at the moment. Whether it's in people at board level, uh, that's separate. Uh, I don't know, but you can... You, I understand that comparison. So... Um, the only difference is he's, he's probably. Uh, I I just think someone like someone like Rogers goes in and he he revitalises the club from the bottom all the way up, and I think that's probably what Manchester United need. We're not discussing Manchester United at the moment, but when you consider what they've done, 
um, in a point in Raniak, and you consider he walked into the job on his own. I was at his first game against uh, young boys, and I was there for the warm up and the nerd in me, and I was there an hour and a half early. It was just bizarre to see him walking in on his own, no assistant manager, no coaching staff came with him, no team of people came with him. And you think of the modern day coach comes with a team of five, six, seven, up to 12 people. And um, when you compare that to say a, a Rogers going in, there's no way he would be that underprepared that Ranyak looks like. And the results are of, of the way Ranyak is so underprepared is playing out on the pitch because there's no difference to them than what they were under Solskjaer. Maybe a difference in shape, but not in results. So, um, Roger for me would be a brilliant fit for Manchester United. But do I think he get the job? I, I don't think so. I think um, he's got a he's got a job in his hands. He's he's uh, he's under a bit of noise and pressure. I get that. I would like to think not in the club for all the reasons I pointed out. But you you wouldn't be shocked if if this Leicester side got a few players back and uh, I know Fofana is back training. They got a few players back and ended up in sort of sixth, seventh from the end of the season. And um, I think Rogers has pointed out that the squad does need rebuilding. As I said, when you look at Luckman, who's who's on loan from the, uh, the German club, and you look at All Brighton, they're not players that are going to get you wingers. They're going to get you to the top six, five in the Premiership um, at the moment to do it, the way the league is being played. So, and as I said, they're scoring enough goals. It just They've lost so many uh, centre halves um, that there's just enough of a case to make for Brendan Rodgers. I have to say. I just wanted to ask you one more thing about Liverpool last night, Vinny, and there does seem to be a little bit of frustration from a Liverpool supporting standpoint about Curtis Jones and maybe his uh, lack of intent when it comes to being on possess- in possession of the ball and, and not releasing the ball quick enough from midfields. It, it does seem that maybe Harvey Elliott, if we're looking at the stocks of those young Liverpool midfielders, is is a touch above Curtis Jones at the moment. Is, is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is on, on terms of what you see on the pitch. I thought the difference when Harvey Elliott came on last night was, was, was outstanding. He, he gave them, he gave the whole crowd a lift and obviously Salah came on at the same time as well. So the noise level went up. For me, that's a concern in Liverpool um, um, in terms of their midfield. I think Jordan Henderson has, has missed a lot of football at different stages. He's, so I think if Liverpool are playing their best midfield, it's probably Fabinho, uh, Henderson. And now at this stage, there's, a, there's an argument between Harvey Elliott and Thiago. And that's how good, and I think Elliott has looked when he's played for them. Um, so, But I, I still think they need to be careful. I think they need to get a player into that midfield because we, they just can't rely on Henderson. And, and the way they want to play in terms of that high line, that high press, you look at someone like Bellingham, do Bellingham and you say they need to go out and spend big money on a player like that and um, it's a bit like Diaz are, are we seeing the end of, of Jota we, he, the recruitment seeing the end of Firmino to a point to, in terms of his form was dropping off great bit of business got Jota in and he's now taken uh, Firmino's role you can see Diaz is going to put uh, Mane under pressure as I said so They've got to now act and, and go after a big-name player into that midfield because we, we've talked on the show before about how Liverpool play, the high press. There's a reason everyone wants to know um, why Liverpool are playing the high press and it looks like they're about to concede a goal. And, and Klopp's mindset is almost like, well, if they score two, we'll score three because of our high press. Um, so 
it's that midfield position. It, they don't play the way Man City do, so they don't have a Gundogan, a Silva, bopping the ball around and short passes. It's high energy and it's high speed in there. So I think um, they've got to go and spend big this summer. Um, and it looks like if they're going to close the gap on Man City or stay at that highest level, and you you would you would say that someone like Bellum looks like the real deal for for a club like Liverpool. So. Or maybe they've got someone else in mind, but they need someone in that midfield. Because um, that is a concern. Um, it looks like they're an injury to away from really struggling in midfield. Yeah, big problems there. Vinny, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks, million. Thanks very much. See you soon. Vinny Perth on the line there uh, on All Things Football. Peter G on YouTube wonders if Arsenal are becoming the biggest shithouses in the Premier League. That's a that. statement I never thought that anybody would, would ever cross anybody. You your hand off for that title, I think it's fair to say, Peter. Old man hurling sounds like good fun, says uh, Sachin. Um, Half-paced hurling is probably just elite level in Westmeath. Next up, Adrian plays uh, County, says Isult Cody. Good morning to Isult. Thanks for the insult. You forgot forgot the comment there from Cormac Divoli, who just says, the Athlone bone. Oh, yeah. Good to have you back. (laughs) I think that's a regular... Uh, regular one and Kaizen on YouTube I'm having this all day long Carty will fulfil his destiny in the quarterfinal lads just watch it's written isn't it Carberry gets injured Sexton gets injured Carberry's out of form everybody turns to Carty and he and deliverance you having it no. Well, like, I mean, if that's if that's what the reality is, then I think we we'll, we'll all have that. But whether or not that's likelihood, I'm I'm, I'm not sure. Like, there was a moment yesterday when I saw that the I saw the sex and injury news before I saw the team sheet, and I was like, could he actually go Carty ahead of Carberry here? I, w- I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Uh, yeah, look, I but, do, uh, legit, legit question. Yeah, but uh, he's obviously the, 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 like there's there's so much in home, so much hope in Carberry. I mean, that's that's the thing that like it does feel that we've been quite down on Carberry this morning because um, of, of his injury past. But the thing is that the reason why we talk about him so much is the, the genuine hope and the the genuine glimpses that we've seen from him in the past. So there's no question who's got the higher ceiling. Come Monday morning, if he's nailed it on Saturday, this conversation will be totally forgotten. It'll be like Joy Carberry. It's it. I mean, he put, he'll be putting pressure on Sexton after the World Cup. That's, that, that's exactly. Th- yeah. This tends to be what happens, and that will be legitimate if he goes to Paris and knocks it out the ballpark. Then that's a legitimate conversation. Uh, here's what's happening on the back pages for you this morning. Uh, Jump for Joy says the Irish Daily Mail. Farrell excited as Carberry gets his big chance. Uh, Jada just gets uh, hotter as Reds keep up chase. He was always going to be long-term Liverpool, wasn't he? On let's face it, like he was never. <laughs> this guy was never leaving Liverpool. He's Liverpool through and through. Yes, Madam boy, absolutely. Keane fails to agree terms with Sunderland. Writes Craig Hope as well. Um, that is a bizarre enough one for me it seems like I mean look at who knows what's happening behind the scenes we'll probably hear about it because he'll be appearing on some media outlet near you soon and we'll probably get the details of it but on the face of it I would slightly go against what I think might be the general thinking in that like he was right to turn it down I think if everything was even as he would need it in terms of contract and support and all that sort of stuff um, regardless of the level they're at that's Roy Keane's level now Mm. Yeah, like so, yeah. I'd like to get the inner working of what actually happened over the last little while, and and on whose yeah. end it actually fell down. On I mean, you were you were relatively hopeful were you last week that King could do a good job. I was hoping he would do it. I, I, yeah. I. The phrase I think I used at the time was that he owed it to himself to do it. Like mm. we don't know behind the scenes. Maybe the contract wasn't been met. Maybe he wasn't been given funds to buy players. Who knows what the little stipulations were that were going on? He had had a couple of interviews obviously with them, and something somewhere fell down. He was obviously interested enough in taking over a League One team to meet them twice. So I don't think that was a factor, and nor should it be for a guy who's been out of the game for ten years and who speaks 
very publicly and in a forthright manner about his desire to get back into it. Yeah, that's that's he he, he won't. I mean, championship is possibly even a little bit beyond him at this point. Yeah, well, it's like possibly is like it's an unbelievably tough division to manage in. Like, does he now? Does he got like that that hunger for it where? He just inserts himself into the carousel once again, and he just goes for the next job. I'm, like I'm not sure it does feel that there was like a certain connection to Sunderland that was a big part of the story as well. The emotional thing, big time. Yeah, we'll get to uh, some of the rest of the papers before we leave you at ten this morning. But before that, uh, it's eight thirty-seven. You're watching OTB AM, and it is uh, time to talk Ruby because it's a monster weekend. Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Good. The Joey Carberry news, obviously, is the thing that's been dominating most of the discussion um, around it. We were saying earlier on that between opportunity, opportunity, injury and form, he hasn't really, you know, it's his first Six Nations start. He's 26. It's only his ninth uh, international start. And uh, tomorrow is huge in the context of this guy's career. Yeah, it is. Um, I think it obviously it's a blow to have um, Johnny Sexton out of the team and the debate has gone for a long time about, you know, the gap between Johnny Sexton and the rest. I think there was so much hope and and kind of optimism around Joey Carberry uh, putting pressure on Johnny Sexton. And he's shown glimpses of that over the years. I think uh, problems, issues have been around injuries and um, him not getting a run of games with Munster in Ireland. But he's certainly a very, very talented player and, and it's... It's crazy to think he's 26 caps and this is his first Six Nations start. I think that's probably something that kind of jumped out at, at a lot of people yesterday that that was the case for him. But um, I think the way Ireland are playing um, will benefit him. Um, the fact that um, a lot of it is um, there's a lot more shape and attack and quality in that that that, that attack that they're trying to trying to achieve and. Um, He's got to deal with a different type of pressure, which can be difficult. And uh, I think Sexton, no doubt about it, was, you know, had this mental strength that um, the opposition trying to rattle him or get at him physically, he was able to cope with that. So that, that's the challenge. I think it's it's the pressure that France are going to put on on him and, and defensively as well. Um, I think they're going to try and run the... Mofana, the, the the twelve who plays instead of Jonathan Dante down down his channel a lot, and um, you know his back row have got to try and help him. And I think if he gets um, if he gets a good start in the game, um, you know there's no doubt he has has that talent and quality to do well. But no matter what way you look at it, Sexton is a loss. Mm. I think um, maybe it's a good thing it's happening now. This is a big big game. For Joey Carberry, um, he's not a young fella anymore, and on that, you know, Quinny, happen at- on that, on that exact point, then what? Like he hasn't been selected over Sexton, and you're alluding to the fact that it's probably good World Cup preparation in a lot of ways. What, if anything, does Carberry bring bring to the party that Sexton doesn't? Um, well, his running game is, um, you know, himself athletically, he's very, very quick and he's evasive and he's a different type of stepper than Johnny Sexton. So I think if he gets quality ball and off multi-phase, um, he can he can be very effective um, running himself because he's very quick and, and he has that sidestep and that wavy run. Um, he's got to nail his kicks from hand and... and you know, I think they've, 
just the pressure, dealing with the pressure. We know how good Sexton is is at that. Sexton's ability to take the ball to the line. So that's a confidence thing. Um, and that's, you know, I suppose a, a real belief in, in, in what Sexton does and, and experience as well. So, you know, Joey Carberry has, a, he's been in around the group for years. He's been in this international setup. Um, I just think he has a little bit of X factor. We, we, we keep talking about it, but we don't see it consistency, consistently enough. We've seen glimpses of it. So what does he bring instead of Johnny Sexton? Well, I think if, if, if Ireland are to go all out attack, um, he, his running game probably, uh, can be, can be, can be a real positive for Ireland. But most of the time, he's just going to be linking up with players. I think we've seen in recent games, you know, um, the 12 being that first receiver with your fly half out the back. Um, that may give Sec- um, Carberry a little bit more space, but it's down to good decision-making as well. So um, Sexton is still a better player. I think in the overall package, Carberry has that decisive um, or you know indecisive, I should say, ability to to do something special. So hopefully we can see something like that. See, even if it's one big moment that he makes a break or can, can stretch his legs and put someone away. I think that would be probably the point of difference, but mm. it's all the nitty gritty stuff, the basics, um, dealing with the pressure, um, leadership, all that stuff that Sexton is, is a loss. We could equally uh, be talking in as much detail about Jack Carty obviously on Monday morning because he's potentially yeah. coming in for 15 or 20 minutes. And he's been brilliant for Connacht this season, Quinny. Like it's a lot of people making the case we were discussing earlier on. Was there an argument for him over Carberry here? Or, or what are you thinking if, if it does come to it, 15, 20 minutes to go, game in the melting pot and Carty is in the mix? Yeah, there's an, there was an argument because of, of the way he's played this season, the amount of games he has played. Um, Joey Carberry has been out for a number of weeks um, a long period of time so um, of course there was an argument we will see Jack Carty probably at some stage um, I'd be a lot more confident with John, Jack Carty nowadays um, p- particularly with you know what's happened to him after the World Cup and, and the way his confidence dipped and he struggled probably for form and Connacht as well so I think we've seen Real, but both of these guys are, are bring a, a great excitement to the game. And um, if you give them time and space, the problem, Adrian, with international rugby is you don't get that time and space. It's always been the point of difference over the years when I played, and people said, "What's the difference?" You've less time, you've more quality players on the field, putting pressure on you, being really aggressive, very little weaknesses in the opposition at the top level. And and that's the thing is making good decisions under pressure. And both of them, if Jack Carty comes on, it's you know it's about um, it's about what kind of confidence Andy Farrell, Mike Cass, Paul O'Connell, you know Simon Easterby defensively have have instilled in this team. And look, the signs are good that they're in a good place and that they believe they can go to Paris. And if they impose their game, hopefully it will be you know. Um, a situation where, first and foremost, Joey Carberry can play well, kick his penalties, um, do the basics well. I, I think the one the one area he's got to get right is is defensively, to be strong. Sexton doesn't soak tackles if somebody runs at them. 
Um, he either stops him on the game line or wraps him in a way that he can lift people back over the game line. So he's very, very strong there. So I think Joey Carberry has to, to get the basics right first. And uh, overall, I think the team is, is um, you know, in a good place. And part of me really thinks that, you know, if they if they get the you know, get themselves into the game and settle that they're they're very capable of, of putting France under pressure. And this would have been, were it not for Sexton's injury, the first time that Andy Farrell would have named an unchanged team during his tenure. So he is stumbling upon, or he's not stumbling, he's arrived at his, what he decides is his starting 15 at this point. Is, like, is that a good thing, Alan? Because like, it does seem that the Carberry and that conversation has been uh, I guess positioned in a sense of this is, will be good for Ireland in the long run. If we look at the other fourteen positions, is is it good for for Ireland in the long run? The, the sense of a lot of lads having their place at the top of the pile when it comes to their own jersey. Um, I suppose it's for and against. If you have a very settled team, um, it can give you cohesion. On um, we're we're eighteen months away or we're out from a World Cup. Um, it's probably. You know, there's a lot of talk the last time about peaking too early. No matter what happens at this World Cup, the next World Cup, it's probably more difficult to to, to get past the quarterfinal stage with the, the possibility of obviously having Scotland in the group and, and having to beat them. Um, finishing first or second, you're only going to get New Zealand or France, most probably. So um, it's still going to be very difficult um, there's still a lot of players. I think Andy, Andy Farless has he's capped a lot of players in the last, since he's taken over, um, which there's a fair bit of a transition has taken place. Um, I think there is some some players still who, who will have a say before the World Cup. You know, Robert Balakoon, Mike Lowry, James Hume, Gavin Coombs could come into the mix. Um, probably need more second rows to put their hands up and, and really challenge the kind of top three that are there, which are Ty Byrne, James Ryan and, and Ian Henderson. Um, but I, I, I think there is, it, it, it is for and against. I think, you know, obviously you can just play and do what's in front of you. And there's been a lot of change. Last summer, there was a lot of players capped in, in Japan and USA. New Zealand's going to be a very difficult uh, challenge for them in the summer. But, um, you know, you're getting a lot of players. Look, Mac Hansen has come into the team um, more more players uh, kind of putting their hands up and, and one or two areas. The, the area we're talking about, um, you know, is the 10 position is he'd love to be heading to the World Cup with, with um, you know, two or three people vying for that number 10, 10 jersey and, and putting more pressure on on Johnny Sexton. And, um, you know, there's going to be a change there, whether it's the end of this season or whether he goes to the World Cup. Um, but, that's one of the areas where you need to get more depth. So um, I think it's 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 great to have a settled team. There's a lot of change to this team. You know, yeah. the back row are completely different. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives in that as well. We, we were having a conversation yesterday about how that back row managed to target Anton Dupont over the course of tomorrow afternoon. It, like, is there almost a semi-man-marking job that you can do or a man-targeting job that you can do coming off the line quickly to, to target DuPont if you are, say, a, a Josh van der Fleer, for example? Um, yeah, I think you've got to be careful. Um, I think the mo- the best way to target um, Anton DuPont is, is is to not give him any opportunities around the breakdown. And that's, 
that uh, that defensive effort applies to everybody. Um, if he sees a little gap, he try and snipe through it, and if he gets in behind you, um, can be so dangerous and 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 quick and and he the lines he runs are exceptional. Um, in a sense, I'm not really sure how you track a guy who can pop up anywhere because of of his footballing ability. If if anyone if any player makes a break for Toulouse or France, we've seen that in the last couple of years, he seems to just track that line on the inside. So that's probably an area where I would think of, of whether it's Gibson Park um, that kind of follows him or tracks him on the inside or, you know, if he gets in behind and, and they get their hands through that somebody is there to make that tackle. Um, but of course, yeah, I think at the breakdown, you want to make it really difficult for him that he doesn't get really quick ball all the time. But, and Ireland has shown us a bit, an ability to to choke tackle and put a lot of pressure on the opposition breakdown. So um, first and foremost, I think you just want to make it uneasy for him, the type of ball he's getting. Um, quick free kicks, stuff like that. You've got to have someone back 10 yards. And I'm sure that they've worked on that, that somebody is back there really quickly or somebody who is standing there shoots forward to make that tackle if he taps and goes. So... Um, Obviously, it's down to, you know, trying not to give him quick quality ball and, and make it easy for him. Do you expect Ireland to tweak anything in terms of their level of adventure tomorrow, just given the quality of opposition and given the fact that it is away from home? Yeah, I would I would expect them to obviously have looked at France and, and, and see, you know, where there's gaps or weaknesses. We saw from the, the crossfield kick last week from Italy, for the, the try they scored that you know they were a little bit narrow, narrow. Villiers isn't the biggest winger in the world um, can they target him there um, I think defensively they come so hard off the line for me there's a little bit of space again Italy put one or two little chip kicks in behind them when they were coming so hard and there was a bit of space there so they'll have looked at things like that and see where the space on the field you might only exploit these things once in a game on. You might try it and, you know, France might have that covered this week. I, I would expect them to show us something different um, from possibly strike plays. If they get off line outs, whether they go midfield, come back to blind side, um, show us something a little bit different. Obviously, Joe Schmidt's teams were renowned for coming up with you know, some sort of a strike play off a scrum or a line-out that, that score tries in big games from over the years. So so I think we might see something. Um, whether it goes comes to fruition and, and, and works perfectly, who knows? Um, but for me, the, the what you've got to do against France is try and get to multi-phase and hope that even though Sean Edwards has done a, a fantastic job with him around their defensive, the, the defensive side of their game and their work rate, um, you've got to try and build multi-phase and hope that you know if it's if if you can force a penalty or if you can get in behind them that they get a bit disjointed. Just a wider question, Quinny, on the it's Simon Zebo. I don't know if you saw that he was talking to a French rugby podcast during the week and he was talking about the atmosphere in the Ireland camp. And he no, obviously, look, he's he has beef obviously with the previous management. Um, but that notwithstanding, he's been involved in camps under Andy Farland, that management team. He has mates who are in there, so he knows what's going on. And he talks about the atmosphere that's in there and how good it is. And um, look, he does make comparison with the previous regimes, but it looks like everybody's happy. Everybody's on the same sheet. It's winning rugby. Uh, How much, I mean, look, a lot of it depends obviously on what happens this weekend, but how much of a lid do we need to keep on 
um, how things are going or what's your reading on I'm sure you're in contact with uh, with people in and about it as well what's your reading on uh, a, a management team and Andy Farrell particularly who not that long ago we were talking about you know how much road has this guy got and, and, and very much has turned the corner with it um, yeah there was pressure um, huge pressure in the last year and around the way they were playing and the type of rugby uh, that we were seeing and, and results as well um, yeah, I think it's hugely important and I don't think anybody's getting too excited um, I, I have this feeling of what happened in 2018 with the Grand Slam um, and and it's, it's experiences isn't it it's the same as when you are a player and you go to certain places whether you're with Ireland or whether, whether I was with Munster you learn from experiences and and sometimes it can only be just becoming a little bit um, complacent in, in, in your performance and certain things that are happening in the group. But one thing that is a real common denominator throughout sport at all levels, and I, I'm a big believer in this, is if if the players feel good and they're happy and confident in, in, in what they're trying to do, it's a much better place than than to be indecisive and lacking confidence and nervous and worrying about what could happen. I think uh, mentally to have them in a good place at the moment, and, and it comes down to the management. I think, you know, Paul Paul O'Connell probably would have brought a, a fair bit of um, a bit of composure, even though he can get uh, he can be incredibly intense, Paul, in what he what he's trying to as a player and as a coach, which is a great thing. Um, he can make people feel really uh, strong and belief in themselves. But look, I, I think what Zebo is saying, and I understand it, that's, you know, they're full of confidence and they're full of belief and they're happy. Does it give them a guarantee of results in sport? No, it doesn't. Um, will we be talking on Monday about, you know, them going backwards? Or t- sometimes you have to take steps backwards and that's just the way it goes. But, but for me, they've just got to stick to their own game and try and, you know, impose what they've been doing in the last, in November and, and last week on the opposition. And I think um, invariably those passes and those moments and those positive things that happen in a game happen easily when you're in a good place. And what's that your, makes sense. It does. What's your call on it? Um, I've probably... It, it's a very difficult one. It's not me sitting in the fence. One side of me thinks, yeah, I, I just, I just really think that they have a great chance. But having a great chance doesn't guarantee the result. I think France are a very powerful side, and that's the one area their physicality and their power, and they're going with the six-two split in the bench. There's a real belief in French rugby that this team can go on and not just win a Six Nations, but win a World Cup. Um, Galtier has done a brilliant job, as Edwards and Ibanez. So it's a it's a huge task. If Ireland lose the game, is it disaster? No, because um, if we win the game, will will we be getting too far ahead of ourselves? We but, will, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um, look, I think um, it's going to be very, very tight. I think I was with Sexton coming out of the team yesterday. It, it concerned me, but. Another part of me then thinks we, we, we're going to have to de- live without Johnny Sexton, whether it be next year, after the World Cup or whatever. So Joey Carberry has to try and step up and, and Jack Carty and see if they can, you know, will it take a little bit of sting out of the French because they love playing against Johnny Sexton? So 
I don't know. It's you're splitting the hairs. Yeah. I think France are probably the team that are going to edge it. But um, I really hope that um, that Ireland can can trouble them. And, and if they're in the game, I think if if Ireland are in the game late on, I think they'll win it because they're incredibly fit, uh, tenacious, resilient, and their work rate is through the roof. And um, if they're in the game late on, I think Ireland will win it. Uh, but I'm probably leaning towards France. I'll well, change my tactic good, again. I'll good, change it by, by tomorrow again. Good time for us to get rid of you. Good man. Thanks, Quiddy. Cheers, lads. Fair Thanks. Play. Alan Quinlan uh, looking ahead to the game. Quarter to five uh, tomorrow, by the way, that match. Uh, the log kickoff. Scotland-Wales. Uh, Wales-Scotland at quarter past two tomorrow. Uh, the wooden spoon contenders, really, on, aren't they? Your friends. Wales. Italy. They are, they are. I mean, there's such things as wooden spoon contender. Uh, Italy are wooden spoon winners. Are wooden spoon contenders. Um... Who was it that made the point this morning? Ronald Agar, I think, in the examiner was talking about the unforgivable nature of that cough up by Tyg Byrne late on where Wales we should have nilled them. Like they were brutal, they were bad. Now you do expect them to get a little bit better. I don't know if it's gonna happen for them this weekend against a decent Scotland team, but I think they are live wooden spoon contenders on the basis of that form. Like the only thing you need to ask yourself is, will they beat Italy? That's and they will beat Not Italy. on the basis of last weekend. They won't. I mean you they, you assume they'll improve. Yeah, if that Wales team that played Ireland last weekend play yeah. Italy, they're at home to Italy on the last day of the championship. They'll have players back. They'll have a few of their lines back. They'll be better than they were last week. I'd be astonished if Wales win the wooden. The organisers have set that up as a wooden spoon, uh, wooden spoon off. Yeah, I wonder. Is, I presume there are teams that have gone from winning the championship. I mean, albeit the worst team to have ever won the championship. To no, there's no. no there is definitely no team that's gone from that to wooden spoon because it's generally tended to be Italy. Obviously, in the modern era. I'd say in the Five Nations there possibly was. In the uh, Five Nations there could have been because that, so, that used to change wildly from... Yeah, I almost said there certainly was. So, yeah. yeah, no, not for me. Not for me, pal. Righto, it's uh, two minutes to nine. You're watching OTBM. We're brought to you by Gillette. Good mornings. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Live crappy quiz coming your way in uh, a few minutes' time. But before all of that, our next two guests, uh, former rugby players Damien Brown and Fergus Farrell, attempting a remarkable feat uh, this year. They're planning to row across the Atlantic. It's 5,000 kilometres it's New York to Galway it's unsupported and we're going to be speaking to them in just a couple of moments time. before that take a look at this clip from uh, Lorcan Hines short film called The Row The accident left me completely paralysed from the waist down the surgeon put his hands on my shoulder and said I may never walk again this my new reality. If you don't have doubts, confusion, chaos, it's not a challenge. There has to be striving, drive, but there also has to be doubts. That's challenge. I knew in my gut I'd walk again. I had to keep pushing myself, inching forward. I saw someone who wouldn't give up on himself. That's what builds strength. That's what builds character. Step by step, you'll be amazed where that can bring you. Two years after he was told he would never walk again, Fergus Farrell has walked across Ireland for charity. Now I understand why Damo does what he does. There's a a drive within me that I want to take on those challenges. 
Challenge forges you. When you embrace the storm and do something that scares you, you grow. We're rowing 3,000 nautical miles from New York to the west of Ireland, unsupported. New York to Galway. The challenge of a lifetime. Damien, Fergus, good morning to you. Come on in, Galway. Have we got you, lads? How are you doing? We have indeed, yes. How's the form? I've just been looking at a clip from your video there, the row, and uh, it's bloody impressive, and what you're doing is bloody impressive. Damien, kick us off. You're well used to this uh, madness. What number room you Fergus is in uh, uh, in Houston Station there, or Galway Galway Main Station, by the sounds of things. <laughs> we're uh, we're we're, we're struggling to get out of the starting blocks here, but we'll get motor, and we're all we're all good. We're all good. Damien, kick us off. This is um, your latest challenger. Is it three months out? Yeah, we're just just kind of coming up to three months exactly. Yeah, hopefully we don't exactly have a start date because it's all weather dependent and getting away from New York is quite tricky, you know. So it'll literally be like a couple of days beforehand we'll know. But we're, we'll be ready to go by kind of mid-May, May 18th is the day we have in our head and we'll be ready to kick off. And whenever we get that window, we're going to put the head down and, and do our best to get away from that landmass um, as quickly as possible and out into deep water. How long does it take you to row 5,000 kilometres across wild seas? How long is a piece of string? Um, <laughs> it depends again, like uh, it's all weather dependent, right? Like so the fast, fastest it's ever been done is 55 days, 13 hours. I think uh, Fergus is going to have to shift venue there, but I don't think so. We might let him away and I think, Demi, we'll just get, we'll break it there for a second and just we'll get you back up in the line because we've both coming through technically coming through the same uh, system so we'll have to uh, hit restart on that and we'll do that in just a moment and uh, get the two lads backing up what they're doing is unbelievable and I'm sure people will be very much aware of Damien's background in challenges at this point it's been um, the jer- literally the journey's been on has been really uh, very impressive and I was listening again last night to the podcast that he recorded at Base Camp in Everest where he had to hit uh, stop on his plan to climb Mount Everest um, he had picked up COVID it was last year and it was it was a podcast that I'd, I'd highly recommend you checking out um but he's obviously addicted to this stuff on it's not you know he's he's not the not the you know his first rodeo no like it's just a complete different mindset isn't it the people who manage to go and <laughs> 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 not for you or I own I think is no, what you're saying this no, is uh, you know and it's the thing is like we all got those sort of like mad mates who are like oh 
you know, one of my mates on to me last year said that he was planning on cycling around Ireland. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I think I think what happens is in that context, you kind of commit to it, don't you? You're like, before you know it, you're like all signed up. You're ready for road. What is it we're doing again? Oh, 5,000 kilometres across the Atlantic. Oh, well, that might be uh, that might be a bit of a challenge. And as Damien has spoken about as well, it's obviously bringing it into his, into his hometown, which must be part of the appeal as well. So we will come back to that in a few moments' time. In the meantime, there's lots going on across the back pages. We have Damien on the line. Great, Damien, how are you getting on? You're back with us. I'm back, lads. Sorry about that. All good. <laughs> All is good. Up. All is good. Come here, talk to us a little bit about the challenge that's ahead. That's that's one that's going to do the do wonders for us on YouTube. You can be you can be sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Tommy Ball and his uh, and his ten siblings won't, won't have a won't have a patch on that one. Um, talk to us about. I just mentioned the word addicted there about your. Um, career in extreme challenges do you see it in those terms or how do you view your thirst for this sort of stuff yeah a little bit yeah there's definitely a um uh, like an addictive you could describe it that way you could use other words like a calling a calling or a pull or or um a, a, like a deep drive to yeah. explore like the kind of inner corners of myself through physical and mental um challenge and endurance but um yeah this one is right up there like this one is kind of one i see as a kind of legacy piece for like for me you know in terms of um well you know i get to actually do something or connect something with where not only my country where i was born and bred but also the town i grew up on right so we get to row um from new york across the north atlantic ocean into the center basically into galway docks um sometime in kind of July, possibly August, depending on what sort of weather we get. You know, the the goal is to uh, break the world record, which is 55 days, 13 hours. But that's just a goal. Like, you know, if if Mother Nature decides that, uh, you know, um, she's going to hit us with storm after storm after storm, uh, there's not much we can do about that, you know. But Mm -hmm. for now, now, anyway, we have every intention and everything we do is to to go for that record. And if given the chance, hopefully give give it a good shot. You've had your boat built and you're in possession and you're out practicing in it and um what what it's a bit of a mix of the old and, and the new, is that right? Yeah, so it's um we just got it on Monday and um we're over the moon with it. Basically it was over the last thirteen months it's been crafted very slowly, but crafted in Devon Devon in the UK by um a guy called Justin Adkin from Sea Saber. And he's a traditionalist in in how he uh, sets up his boats. So there's a couple of different ways you can set up the boat. Basically what that means is is how you um uh, position the cabins and he positions the cabins as the original um ocean rowers would have done it that means that they're not really giving um they're not making the most of the weather conditions they're they're just there for basically um a refuge during right. uh, big weather and I, I i kind of um align with his um philosophy and his uh i suppose his um the way he thinks around that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm all for it. It's called pure class. So it's doing it like, like basically like the traditionalists would have done it. And, you know, so it's, it's not making the, um, thing that is already very hard um, any easier you know it's, yeah. it's basically the hardest way you can do it and then what we've done is something that's quite innovative it's never been done in ocean rowing before so as a pair normally the two um, rowers would row in front and behind each other but we've set the boat up uh, so we can row side
side by side just with one or each. And we feel that um, our uh, physical and mental capacities are going to um, make the boat faster by rowing like that. So we you know, what have often happens and what I noticed on my last uh, Atlantic crossing was that the boat pitches so much, it's been pitched, pitched and tossed, right? Mm. That like when you have two oars, it's impossible, not impossible, sorry, but the, the percentage of times you get two oars in the water is really, really low, like okay. for big, big, full, powerful strokes. Whereas if we just have one oar to concentrate on, we don't have to worry about that peripheral vision. We can just concentrate on placing the oar in the water. So that means hopefully we can get um, really powerful strokes and if you're doing a million and a half strokes that adds up right every stroke counts you know and particularly when you're going for a world record so that's the um, theory so we'll see how that uh, how plays out because yeah well and look because one of the things I was interested in is like what happens if and I wasn't aware that you were going with that um, method of it what happens if one of you gets injured or one of you gets sick or is it is it all in or all out no, we also have the option, and this is kind of the innovative piece. We also we are, we can and will row as individuals with two oars, but we have these like kind of um, we have three positions on the boat. Right. So that as an individual, you have the one position in the middle of the deck, and then if we row together, we have two more seats either side of that, um, and then we just have these kind of swinging arms with the, where the oars extend further out into like an like an outrigger on a on a uh, Olympic rowing boat or whatever so um, yeah so it's all um, so we, we'll mix that up you know when we have really good and bad conditions we'll probably both get on the oars and try and make the most uh, or, or try and limit the damage and then when we kind of get into a bit of a groove we'll probably row individually for long periods of like I'm talking days in a row you know Right uh, 55 days at sea is an incredibly long period of time what, what do you do when you're out there like are you listen? Are you talking? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you listening to the sea? What's going on? Yeah, very simple life, right? Uh, row, eat, sleep, and look after yourself. Mm. That's that was that was. I obviously did one of these before, and I was uh, um, alone, so I didn't really have anyone to talk to. Um, and I made a, <laughs> I made a big mistake in terms of. Um, uh, not bringing any headphones you know I, I there was a speaker system on the boat and I'd never actually um, I bought a load of audio books and podcasts or downloaded them at least uh, before I was to leave and then uh, like day four I was like okay now I'll crack into the first audio book here and turned it on and my heart drops right away when I realized I couldn't hear the narration over the wind uh, so and having no headphones that was like 10 audio books were just like basically completely useless to me so uh, with myself and Gussie you know obviously we'll uh, we'll learn from that and um, you know we'll have I suppose you know we can talk to each other I, I don't know how we're going to fill 55 days or, or more worth of uh, chat but uh, you know I'm sure there'll be some pretty shallow chat and so maybe even some profound stuff coming up and um, I know, having listened to your podcast again last night from your, uh, ultimately, I mean, I, the word is totally wrong, but it's the only word that comes to my mind, failed attempt at, at Everest um, and how much that, um, the trauma that was involved, I suppose, with that. And you, you spoke at that point about the, the importance of the support network and the quality of the support network. Are you doing this unsupported? Yeah, we are completely unsupported, yeah. So when we leave New York, 
apart from like maybe we have a, a documentary crew following us and maybe you know a few like people who want to kind of see us off um like the they they'll apart from those people and maybe for a day they might follow us but after that we're totally unsupported um we have everything we need to survive on the boat um from start to finish you know so we'll all we have all our dehydrated food snacks and we have a desalinator as well to make to what they call make water or or um you know suck up the sea water and run it through a load of filters to give us drinkable water and uh yeah no that's us um no support from start to finish so it's it's a very kind of um uh well it's a very free way i find to 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 find yourself um uh in these places a uh, very free way to do like expeditions yeah What's the plan if something goes wrong? Uh, hopefully not, obviously, but I'm sure you have plans in place for what's the emergency red button plan? Well, by maritime law, like so say the worst case scenario um, and we have to be rescued for some reason. By maritime law, the near, you know, as long as you SOS, uh, the nearest vessel um, has to come by and uh, aid right. you in a rescue. Yeah. So, in terms of that, like that's, you know, that's a huge safety net. And, and you just, we, we'll have all sorts of um, beacons. So, we'll have one on, on literally wear one called a, a personal locating beacon, a PLB. And then we'll have another thing called an EPIRB. And then we have SOS on our, our sat phones. So, you're, you're pretty kind of connected in terms of to, um, to the system that can save you if you know the worst case scenario was to come about and obviously i'm asking a lot of questions here about worst case scenario and i'm hoping that uh, and we're all be supporting you along the way that it, none of that comes into play did i read that you're going to be uh, attached to the boat in the sense that it'll be obviously extremely um choppy out there and that that that's your best method of hanging on to it is that right yeah, exactly that. Yeah, no, we um, like that is the number one safety protocol, and that's something you just do not mess with. Yeah. Like so, so the split second you exit or uh, exit that cabin onto deck, we'll either be wearing a climbing harness or um, we'll have our life jacket on, which also has a harness around it, and you'll have a line then coming out of your either of those harnesses, and then you clip that in straight away to another line, a thing called a jack stay on the boat. So that's your one point of contact. Whatever happens, you know you you have one point of contact with the boat and, and that's I can't you know I can't uh, over exaggerate how important that is you know because as long as you're contact, in contact with the boat you're safe like but the, if the second you're not you're incredibly like unsafe and and basically if you are detached from the boat unless it's a really really calm day I mean the, you know that's it it's it's game over you know because this, this, you can't just turn these boats around and roll back right. like the current is taking you one way you know and, and you know you're just swept in that current away so uh, yeah so you know that's something we drill 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 even if it's you know sunny and calm you still clip in all the time How does the feeling of diving into the deep end here compare with say going up Everest is it a completely different sense of, of trepidation? Well, because I've done it before, uh, I remember when I when I like when I was lining up to like to push away from the dock and and out into like what what was then the unknown. Like I I was so um, 
discombobulated is the best way I can put it disorganized mentally I was just I, there was so many things going through my head I really couldn't um, I couldn't get any kind of presence any kind of concentration but uh, this time I, I, I don't really have that I have a pretty clear plan what we're going to do on the first 36 48 hours like to get away from like I said that kind of North American landmass which is really tre- uh, difficult and challenging um, and then it's just a case of it's just this incredibly relentless um, grind, like just constantly be challenged by the ocean in many different ways, particularly psychologically. Um, and it's just about being able to control, like have some sort of um, organization and control of what your mind does when you get into weak mental states. What, like you have techniques, have you? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I, um, uh, basically, uh, I've kind of developed my own stuff through like this, the, whatever my, just through my journey as an adult in professional rugby and now in extreme adventures. And it's, it's all about, you know, staying present. So basically there's two, the two kind of steps to that when you, um, are, uh, future focused or outcome orientated or, um, distracted in some way, you know, you need, so first thing that's going to flag that for you is your self-awareness. Like, so if you're not aware, you can't change it. So you have to become aware of your state that you're in. Um, and then secondly, it's just about redirecting your mind into a neutral or a positive state. And you do that through concentrating on, on something that's within your control. Um, and I have a, um, a method called the four controllables. So in physical um, endeavors, in physical pursuits, there's four things that you can always control no matter how um, stressed you are, no matter how negative, no matter how doubtful, no matter how uh, distracted or dark or um, chaotic you are mentally. These things are always within your control if you can bring your concentration to the act of doing them and they are uh, your body position and technique. So in this case, rowing and that body position through the rowing stroke your effort so how much effort you're putting through a part of your body so just bring your concentration to your grip or to your upper back or to your quad and concentrating on the literally on the effort that you are producing or generating in that um, place in you know that body area uh, your breath that is always within your control and if you can bring your concentration to it um, you become present and Breath also has a strong link to the parasympathetic nervous system. So it also calms you in those states. And then your self-talk, again, always within your control. And and, and when you are uh, concentrated on what you're saying to yourself um, uh, and on the act of, of what you're saying to yourself, you... Um, you redirect your mind to the present and you cannot be stressed. You cannot be anxious. You cannot be doubtful. When you are present, you, you can just be present. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an awesome challenge, and uh, we've only got a bit of a flavour of it there this morning. We'll get Fergus's story again, um, and we will definitely be checking in. You've a long time before you set off. I know that a big part of it for you is the emotional aspect of coming back mm-hmm. into Galway as well. So we've a huge amount more that we'll touch on again. But for the minute, Damien, best of luck with the prep. Catch up with you down the track. Fair play, lads. Thanks a lot. Thanks a million, Damien Brown. And uh, you can keep on top of all the very latest there, projectempower.ie, if you want to head along and uh, check out how you can get involved uh, with the two lads. And I said, we'll get more of that story down the track. You're watching OTB AM. It is uh, 20 past nine. We're brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved uh, razors. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. Half past ten is the football kickoff uh, with Sky. That will be coming your way with Jer and crew. Half past ten this morning. 
One o'clock, Ronnie Delaney, OTB Gold. Friday Night Racing from three o'clock. Who's on Friday Night Racing, Jerry? You're going to have to tune in to find out. We'll tune in to find out. Three o'clock today. Classic Game Club at four. Dublin against Kerry in Thurles from 2001. Catherine Switzer, OTB Gold from six. And then off the ball on your radio from seven this evening. Up next on OTB AM, live crappy quiz. Chris Bond. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. <laughs> the rise for self? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> 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 Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish radio. It's a scintillating, it's a stupefying, it's a splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in a no-holds-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant will not look you in the eye unless you refer to him as Managing Director of OTB Sports. This week, however, he will respond to shouts of Managing Director of the Principality of Wales. Give it up for the MD of Wales, Sir Gilroy. Hi, everybody. I didn't realise I was on camera there. I apologise for my... Uh Obscene gesticulations in the general direction. On, <laughs> I realised that was picked up. That's what happens here. This is the behind the scenes. Can look I, sorry, just interrupt? Very, very briefly. Uh, downtown Damien Brown was on just beforehand. A very impressive character, and he used the phrase "weak mental state." And then he looked at both of you. I was like, "That's that could be the sub name for this entire show." Well, as he was going through, weak mental like, state. Control your breath. I was like, "Clear your mind." Easy done. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much there in the first place. Control your breath, don't let your breath control you is the key. Our next contestant is uh, back on the quiz after a long hiatus due to having his priorities in the right order. He spent his month of January finally polishing off a five-year-old Argentinian and a year-old South African. His palate is enhanced, his knowledge of the wines of the world broadened. His wife also had a baby. Give it up for Adrian, who really is your daddy, Barry. <laughs> that was the one. Go, re-roll Damien's advice back in your mind there on. I don't know what happened there. That's dangerous. Can we delete territory. that? Can we <laughs> rewind and start not again? Absolutely not. That, that was... What was he doing to this? That, that was beautifully, beautifully crafted and exactly delivered how it should have been. <laughs> Our last contestant today was conspicuous by his absence. Absence in Dubai's Cove Beach and in Salt Bay's flagship restaurant. There was a football break, but this football man declined to go on the footballer's holiday, limbering up for a big summer in Marbella. It is Phil the Power Egan. Yeah, lads. What's Salt Bay all about, really? Like Gold-plated steaks, have you seen them? Yeah. That can't be good for your insides. I mean, I guess you just got to go and find out. Welcome to uh, 2018 there, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> saying. What's the, it all about, George? It's still, still a thing. It, I mean, it's, it's a cultural moment to Salt Bay. You would say passed quite a while ago, but is that you're opening at the comedy store, Salt Bay? What's, <laughs> What's all about? Uh, as ever, the format is a classic crappy quiz with a series of questions on a range of themes, and it's onto the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round. You've got, got that podcasts gold in your intestines, and it comes out, and you know, it's you're, you're looking down the toilet, and it's it's golden. It's just one, one of our bits there. That is, it's good. You can podcast the crappy quiz, as I said, on the OTB Sports app. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, and I'm sure we've got loads of those coming already. And please send any questions you have via postcard to Crappy Quiz Quizmaster <laughs> off the ball towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin Two. Round one it's is boring questions. Round. <laughs> it's actually very warm, isn't it? Uh, I regret this, please. Never multiple choice. <laughs> Question egg. one for you, Jar. How am I first? <laughs> Who scored the France try in Paris in 2018 that looked like it was going to end Ireland's Grand Slam hopes before they even got started? Oh, stop the lights. Mm, the big hairy winger. 
the long flowing hair whose name I've completely forgotten Shame, isn't it? Uh, breathe, Jar, breathe. Go to your go to your good shop. <laughs> Gaston Hihon. Gaston Hihon, is that your answer? <laughs> What's his name? Hit the, hit the buzzer, hit the I've buzzer. I have no idea. No idea. Teddy Toma. Ah. I was completely wrong then. Adrian. Who is the oh was the try that was disallowed? There was a try that's allowed in that game as well, was there? That was like four years ago, I can't I remember. thought that's who you was were describing. Teddy Thomas is who you were describing. It was, uh, he, does, uh, he does have a uh, long wavy hair, just tied up in a, in a bun that day, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Adrian, question one for you. In what position did Ireland finish in the Six Nations table the year O'Driscoll's hat-trick in Paris? The year of O'Driscoll's hat-trick in Paris, I should oof. say. Not getting my words out this morning. Where did we finish in the table? It's, uh, it's the... Weight of being a fashion icon, you notice you dress up for Adrian. With me, it's like whatever. But mm. you're rocking. I would the, say this is dressing down. You're rocking the weekend gear here. No, this is dressing down. It's nice top, isn't it? Yeah, thanks very much. It's brand new. It's fancy. It was, oh, it's, it's very warm studio. It's is, is it sponsored? Me. It's not sponsored, but we can get sponsored if you want. Oh, also, also open to any stickers on the laptop. I, I realize it's the top here is good real estate. Uh, send me your offers. Third, I will take them all. Correct. Well done, Adrian is off the mark. Never multiple choice is what it says at the top, right? Well, I mean, so how many choices are there? Five positions. Uh, come on now, you broke your own rules there. There's never <laughs> multiple choice except it can be first. It couldn't because we never. I mean, won you it. just should have got Teddy. It can't be last because the been, Italians. That would have taken it out of it. I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> is it second, third, or fourth? I don't know. Is that multiple choice? That sounds like multiple choice to me. If there's one person who might have got that wrong. <laughs> Phil. Who was Roy Keane's <laughs> record signing in his managerial career, according to Transfer Market? And will remain his record transfer fee for now, of course. Okay, so it wasn't it for Jamie. Um, someone. Phil's just toying with this because he knows this straight away. I don't, no. No, I'm trying to think of players that he brought in. Kenny Cunningham. Oh. He's one. Could be Kenny. No. Um, I, I know he signed one player, but I don't know if it was the record signing. So I'm just going to say Dwight York. No. Cameron Jones. No. Was it your man? Not Cameron Jones. Small fella. No. Craig Gordon. Chakra, was it? Craig Gordon. Craig Gordon. All right. 9.74 oh, million Cameron pounds. was eight. And he's still playing. The thing is, it was it was looked on as a bad signing because he wasn't great. And then his form was okay. And it was like, oh, that'd break even. But actually, if everybody had stayed, it would have looked like good business, right? He wasn't a bad keeper. Bad manager. No, he's still playing. Well, I suppose yeah, longevity helps. But Round two, Adrian, the only person who scored a point in round one. Round two is the mystery French That's voice round. Oh. The rules in this round are simple. I'm going to play the voice of a person we usually hear speaking in English, speaking in French. And all you got to do is tell me who it is. Jer, who is this? There's even pas beaucoup d'Américains qui ont fait ça. Donc... Ah, je pense que j'adore le basket, donc c'est pour ça en fait que c'est pas très difficile, je crois, parce que il est vraiment fameux, ouais. Who is it? Titi Henry. Correct. I thought it was like not going to be a French person. Adrian, who is this? Changer cette mentalité, de faire un match sérieux, d'oublier que nous avons. C'est trop, c'est trop facile ça. Come on, merde. I can't hear it. Mais non, c'est trop facile. I'd love to hear it again. Oh. Phil, you're next up. Who is this? Il y a les autres équipes qui sont difficiles. Ça français. Phil, 
You know that what that is. What? Can you again? Oh. There are other teams that are difficult. Surely, Phil. Uh, no, because obviously I'm not in studio today, so the sound quality isn't great. Oh, That's what I'm playing with. Grass, grass, but yeah, it's actually grass. better when you're listening just in the earphones. You don't have to listen to the shit that these two are talking. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't have. I don't have beats on. These are like little crap headphones. They look pretty good to me. Beats, no, beats overpriced nonsense. Some might say. Some might say that actually they're just labeling them, but they're actually an inferior product. That's all. However, if you would like to send in some free beats or beats, well, I could try them out for you or uh, <laughs> give us an answer, Phil. Um. Ah, oh, okay. Something to do with Stade Francais. So, uh, just say Fabian Galtier. No, I think that was actually tricky because normally when he comes on and pretends about his inability to speak French to us, it doesn't sound like he's speaking French. But that sounded like a French person speaking. It also French. sounds like a younger, much younger. Yeah, person yeah. It was younger, an after yeah. game. It was Challenge Cup against Breve. It was Ronald O'Gara, Phil. Ah, <laughs> like a long time ago. 2011 wasn't that the Challenge Cup? No, year? I was already thinking forward then at yeah, that point. At some point, I'm going to be working over here. I better show you. His, if anything, his mock French pronunciation it since is like. Sounded like he he's been working backwards on his French accent. Yeah, it it does. Uh, I obviously that's just that was a, a curry favour with us. That was oh, a, look, that's a compliment to his French that I didn't get it. I thought, I it was thought a French so. Person. Yeah, it did sound so. It did sound younger. So in uh, third place on zero points is Phil. In second oh. place on one point is Jura. And in the lead on two points is Adrian. That's I never do that, but I said that, that the occasion deserved it. Situation. Round three is the past the parcel of doom round. Yes, it's time for another edition of the hottest new invention of 2021, carrying through to 2022. In this round, I'll give you a category that involves a list of names, and all you've got to do is give me a name that matches the list, and the parcel of doom passes on to the next contestant, who then also has to give me a name. We keep moving through the list until one of you give me an incorrect answer, at which point that person will be eliminated. The last person standing wins a point. Sure. It's a very uh, complicated way of saying this. We just keep going. Go on. We just keep going. Sure. We do not let this slip. Name a franchise that has won a Super Bowl, and I'm going to need the, the franchise name as opposed to the city. Oh, okay. Has won a Super Bowl. Yeah. The San Francisco 49ers. Correct. Adrian. The Dolphins. The Dolphins are there, yeah. That's correct. Phil. Patriots. Patriots, yeah. Sure. The Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Seahawks. Adrian. The Chargers. The Chargers have not won a Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> Adrian is out. I mean, it was inevitable to happen, just not that early. I mean, the Dolphins, like the last time the Dolphins won it was 72. That so that was the time I was reach, them, yeah. Yeah. Maybe in Dan Marino. Uh, the Bears. The Bears is correct, Sure. Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys is correct, Phil. Eagles. Eagles is correct. The New York Obviously. Giants. Yeah. Phil. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers is correct, yeah. The Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. Phil. Uh, the Rams Rams yeah Oof. sure Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah Jets Jets yeah good pace keep going Baltimore Ravens Baltimore Ravens is correct yeah Phil Broncos Broncos is correct sure so I'm gonna say the Philadelphia Eagles has already been said yes. the Patriots mentioned yeah yeah, yeah. I said that. Phil gets the point. Phil is back in the game. Adrian, well, you kick us off on this one. Name how a win- many more do we have there? Uh, oh, sorry. Um, you had the Colts, Washington, Packers, Raiders, Saints. Were the other ones? That was good. Adrian, 
Name a winter Olympic sport. I'm going to need the name of the sport rather than the specific event as defined both by Olympics.com and Wikipedia. Oh, no. I don't know what, you're t- what, what the hell does that mean? So Name a sport. You can't just say. So, like, uh, I'm trying to think. Of you can't just say skiing. So, so I'm going to say, I'm going to kick things off with ice skating. Why are you, why are you on your computer typing away there? I'm typing down some answers. I, I, I will ex- <laughs> if I had a pen and paper, I might write some down. This is strategy. He's got a computer. So, so what? He, ice skating. He for the first time. I'll, I'll, I'll like let you go again. I need to be a little bit more specific than that. Ice skating is too broad. There are different like. Ah, for God's sake! What do you mean? It's there are too different broad. types of ice skating in <laughs> the Winter Olympic Games. Go more specific, please. So if I say skele- if I say skeleton, is that what we're looking at? What's your answer here? But like, yeah, I don't know answer, what the question answer, is. Answer. I actually don't know what the question you is. You do. We all know that what the question yeah. is. So you're obviously. It's a sport at the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Ice skating is a sport at the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I'm going to eliminate. No, that's, I'm eliminate. not eliminated. I've a list here. Long term. The luge. The luge. Luge. Correct. Let's go. Like it's not. It's not necessarily just an adventure. Though it's the only things. There are loads of different events within. Oh luge. yeah. Well, let's see how smart oh, now the two you chumps are. With these questions. Sorry. Okay. So if I was to say. Cross country skiing. That would absolutely be correct. Well done, Phil. Getting uh, on with it. Curling. Thank you. Adrian, back to you. Come on, make a big deal out of slalom. this. Slalom. Slalom is not. There the enough. downhill slalom. It's, it's, part, it's part of a. Oh, the downhill slalom is an event. So, so the first answer I gave was too broad, and now this is too specific. Okay, okay. Correct. This doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect Seriously, sense. Seriously, come on. It makes perfect Jared, sense. Come on. That, is, that makes no yeah. sense. Questions are the questions. One is too Phil. broad and one is too come narrow. On. Phil. Seriously. The super, the super G. This makes no... Well, the Super G is not one either. <laughs> it is. Of course it is, Phil. <laughs> super, of course it is. Super G is an event within an event. Okay. You're, you're done. Bobsleigh. Bob, Bobsleigh would have been correct. Absolutely. Jerry wins the point. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't before you even said that. Like, that's... Here, here I have to accept, okay? Quick finicking sport. I needed to win, otherwise you would have got back life. in. Everybody. I'm happy for us to move on with life, but you have to accept that question was bullshit. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. There are 15 different sports. If you just accepted the, that was bullshit, we could 15, all move on. Let, with let me list off the 15 sports at the Winter Games Alpine skiing, biathlon, <laughs> bobsleigh, cross country skiing, curling, figure skating, freestyle oh, skiing, dude, ice hockey, luge, Nordic combined, luge. short track speed skating, luge, what they call skeleton, fire jumping, snowboarding. Boarding and speed skating. See, there are two uh, a number of different Honestly. skatings there. Figure skating, speed skating, short track speed skating. Which of the skatings were you referring to an ice Which skating? Any Nobody knows. knows. I, really I think we been should have been let do Phil, any of them, to be honest. Phil, can you name an artist that has performed as the main act or joint main act in the Super Bowl halftime show this century? Oh, oh this century. Okay, I'm going to start with the very first one of the century and Christina Aguilera. This is a guy with knowledge if he's, uh, um, if he can tell you the exact year. That's correct. Next. No, I'm next. Uh, it, no, is, I think it is Jar next, yeah. You too. You too, yeah. I'm trying to think of the old slip. Who was that? Um. <laughs> oh, always bring him in the time. Um, yeah, for God's sake. I'm going to say Coldplay did it, didn't they? Yeah. They weren't. I need a bit more confidence in your next answer. That's all right. Just rather than asking the question, Phil. Uh, the weekend. Uh, it was actually Jer's. Uh, I turned there, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It was oh, Phil's. sorry. Yeah, sorry. That no, was mine. Yeah, Jer. Uh, Timberlake and Janet Jackson. Oh, he's knocked two out there. I'll, I'll have had to the accept. same year. He uh, said, "Who has performed in the, as the main act?" It was or co-main act. So well, you could have named one, and I would have accepted. I Janet Jackson okay, on my list I, I, here. I named them both because they were they were together. Yep. I mean, that's, that's fair game. Stop. Fair game. Adrian. She had her career Four ruined by function, Justin yeah. Timberlake in the aftermath. I had it written down here. I'd actually written Janie Jackson, but regardless, unfortunately, um, Christina Aguilera. That's already been said. You're out. How's that been said, <laughs> Phil? Beyonce. Beyonce is correct. Sure. Black Eyed Peas. Black Eyed Peas is correct. Phil. 
Katy Perry. Katy Perry, bang on. Madonna. Madonna, yeah. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Pitbull. No. What are you talking oh. about? Was he not with J-Lo last year? No, that was J-Lo and Shakira. No, Pitbull was in it. Last year was the weekend. Pitbull was the... He came on in Miami with, with J-Lo. I'm telling you, Pitbull's in it. No, but he wasn't one of the co-main acts. He was, he was he, absolutely one of the co-main acts. I remember him going, who is Pitbull? Pitbull. old man in the middle of... Uh, Pre-game Super Bowl. Going, who is Pre-game. this Pre-game. Super Bowl. Pre-game. There you go. Thank you, Adrian. At long last, somebody stands up. He's on his computer, by the way. Well, I'm looking up the right answer. Look at him. Look at him. On his computer. We've changed tag now from... We've we've lowered him into proof. That was the right answer to his answer. It was the wrong answer, but I'm sure he... I mean, I have... I'll quickly run through all the ones you didn't say. There's loads of them. Aerosmith, Bruce Springsteen, Bruno Mars, Enrique Iglesias, Jessica Simpson, Kid Rock, Lady Gaga, Nelly, Maroon 5, No Doubt, NSYNC, P. Diddy, Paul McCartney, Phil Collins, Prince, Shania Twain, Shakira, The Rolling Stones, The Who, Tom Petty, Tony Braxton... That is a complete list. Round four, we're tied at two apiece. Maybe is the funky maybe magic number round. Learn a thing or two about the halftime in the All Ireland final and the shite that we get. What do we get? So who, who would you get though? I mean, North, it would South, East, and West. Crazy. Gaelic games is far the best. That's my. That's the one I remember the most. I'm like, what? Here's a song we wrote especially for today. It sounds like it. It but sounds I mean, like you wrote it in the jacks on the way in. I mean, it is. There is. I no lies detected in that piece of uh, lyrical writing. North, South, East and West GA really is the best <laughs> I mean no, you cannot, you cannot disagree with that. I mean, no. a, that it wasn't even their best work you know you wouldn't you wouldn't catch Maroon 5 talking about American football being the best in all directions round 4 oh, lucky to be there. Uh, contestants get 3 points for getting the number exactly right if no one manages that the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets 2 points the second closest gets 1 point you can only accept the answer that's written on your paper and I'm also going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends so if you don't mind give us the following number the number of tests Joey Carberry has already started for Ireland at out half, plus the number of times France have won the Six Nations in the Six Nations era, plus the number of goals Egypt scored in the knockout stages of the Africa Cup of Nations this year, not including penalty shootouts, plus the number of times Kilku have won the All-Ireland Senior Club Football Championship. Your 30 seconds expire in Sings Bright Shiny Beads. Can you repeat specifically the first question? The number of tests Joey Carberry has started for Ireland at out half. The number of times France have won the Six Nations. The number of goals Egypt scored in the knockout stages of the Africa Cup of Nations this year, not including penalty shootouts. And the number of times Kilku have won the All-Ireland Senior Club Football Championship. You add them all up. Knockouts. Looks like Phil is ready to announce what he's got. Bill. My agents Google it there. Five. Five. Jer. Eight. Eight. Sorry, we're talking about the total answer here. Yeah. Joey Car- when, when do we ever not do the total answer at the end? <laughs> it's not 21 then. It's not 21, no, but that's incorrect. But So what did you go? Eight. Eight. Jer gets two points, Phil gets one point. The answer was 15. 15. Ooh. Eight Ooh. is Joey Carberry's start at out half, which Correct. is going, what the hell are you lads on about? Correct, so... Kaku have never won an Ireland. Never won it. Yeah. France won the Six Nations five times. I'm down for seven oh, times. Okay. And Egypt scored twice in I'm the knockout stages. I was actually not far off at any of those. Yeah, well... In special price for that. Uh, well, there should be. Price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we, should be, because the rules have never well, been I, the same no, rules for the last 14 years. years way, done this. way closer to all of those yeah, answers yeah, yeah, than either... The question, the Joey Carberry one was... You know what? If you try to go outside, there's a pack of meanies and a bottle of shoot for you. You did very well there, Adrian. That was a great... Congratulations. That's good That's good parenting there, because that's what's going on. He's mid-tantrum. He is. It's a hangover That was earlier on. That was earlier on. Now, read it tonight. 
will be decided in the round that separates the men from the boys, the Mac Hansons from the Allen Hansons. It's an old team in particular, ridiculously easy, rapid fire round. So the score you get in this round will be added to your score from the previous rounds. There'll be 40 seconds for everyone to answer from the same set of questions. We're going to start with Jer, who's in the lead, then on What's to the Phil. Scores, by the way? Uh, you're one point behind Jer. It's 4 3 2, so it's all to play for. So the order is Jer, Phil, Adrian. Keep moving on. Uh, we keep asking you questions until you get one wrong. Peak too soon. Then we move on uh, to the next person, you and your incorrect very... answer also means a deduction of one point. Shout out to a friend of the show, Kieran Boyle from St. Augustine in Florida, who sent this week's rapid fire questions in based on the Super Bowl. Jared just moved into odds on favourite, raging hot. Oh. If he bottles it from here, it truly will be Atlanta Falcon stuff. It is currently 28 3. Falcons, good. Jared, are you ready? Yeah. Your 40 seconds starts now. Which team has made the most Super Bowl appearances? Pittsburgh Steelers no the Patriots which of these teams is joint with the Patriots on six Super Bowls the Steelers or the Niners Phil Steelers correct true or false the Cleveland Browns have never been in a Super Bowl false no true name any performer at this year's Super Bowl halftime show Adrian Beatles. <laughs> no uh, which city has hosted the most Super Bowls Miami or New York Jer? Miami correct name the last team to have as home Super Bowl Tampa Bay Buccaneers Correct With which team did John Madden win Super Bowl eleven with The Raiders or the Ra- uh, Rams The Raiders Correct uh, We're out of those uh, questions Who's top of the Sigerson Cup Roll of Honour UCC or UCD <laughs> Those questions What does that mean UCD It's always relevant Correct It doesn't matter Jer wins Woo Jer wins with 7 points Phil Woo! stays on 3 Adrian it's, finishes I'm on 1 Sorry about it now The uh, performance of the, the halftime show this year in case you're interested are Dr. Dre Eminem Kendrick and Mary J. Blige oh, Not uh, yeah, I totally forgot about that but, um, <laughs> That's going to be some halftime show. Yeah. Uh, Jared, congratulations. Thank what you very much. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I really should have romped home much easier than that. I, I made I made a meal of it. I made a meal of it. I shouldn't have let shouldn't let you get in the way you did. And really, Adrian, I realise that you spent the whole of January with children, but that behaviour today, you've got to look back at yourself. No, you that was a time out. We can all accept that. Let's go and sit on the naughty step for a little that. while. Whatever it is. I mean, we're, we're going to go around a big black, black plastic sack and shove all your stuff in and throw like, it out come on you've yeah, you've, no, you've big Javon move on I'd agree ODBAM has been brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved races we'll be back next week with the crappy quiz this weekend on OTB it's an extended Eek Saturday show states. from 1 to 7 with John Duggan football Saturday with Mark Lawrence and a build up uh, and coverage around France against Ireland and we're in Croke Park as well for the club finals uh, Sunday from uh, 1 to 7 Woo! as well uh, enjoy the weekend Woo! ODBAM back on Monday from half past 7 Super Bowl reaction analysis of Ireland France the Premier League uh, weekend and the hurling as well OTB AM with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors